0: We now join Carl Amari and Lisa Wolf in WGN Radio Theater, already in progress. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. This is the WGN Radio Theater. Lisa knows this. Years ago, I produced a celebrity voiced audio. Bible, fully dramatized, just like a radio drama, word for word from Scripture, called the Word of God. Now there's a website if you want to learn more about this uh, audio Bible, go to Word of God Audio Bible.com. But Mike Estella Called the Easter story out of this New Testament. It's about 17 minutes long. We thought we'd play it for you. Great actors in this, Neil McDonough, Malcolm McDowell, Kristen Bell, Sean Astin, um, Stacey Keach, John Rhys-Davies, just amazing, amazing actors in this. Here is the Easter story now from the Word of God.
1: whole company of them arose and brought Jesus before Pilate, and they began to accuse him.
2: We found this man perverting our nation and forbidding
3: us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself
4: is Christ, the king.
1: Pilate asked Jesus,
4: Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so.
1: Pilate said to the chief priests and the multitudes,
5: I find no crime in this man.
1: But they were urgent.
5: He stirs up the people,
3: teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee, even to this place.
1: When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus belonged to Herod's jurisdiction he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So Herod questioned him at some length, but Jesus made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then, arraying him in gorgeous apparel, he sent Jesus back to Pilate. Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people.
5: You brought me this man as one who is perverting the people and after examining him before you. Behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him
1: and release him. But they all cried out together.
6: Away with this man and release to us Barabbas.
1: Barabbas was a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they shouted,
4: crucify! Crucify him! Crucify him!
1: A third time, Pilate said to them,
4: Why?
5: What evil has he done? I have found in him no crime deserving death. I will therefore chastise him and release him.
1: But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, whom they asked for. But Jesus, he delivered up to their will. (laughs) And as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross behind Jesus. There followed Jesus a great multitude of the people and of women who bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said,
4: Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, behold, The days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never gave suck. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if they do this, when the wood is green, What will happen when it is dry?
1: (sighs) Two others also, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place which is called the Skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Father...
4: Forgive them, (laughs) for they know
1: not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. The people stood by, watching, but the rulers scoffed at him.
4: (laughs) He saved others. Let him save
6: himself, if he is the Christ of God. His chosen one.
1: (laughs) The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him vinegar. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him.
4: Are you not the Christ? Save yourself. And us.
1: But the other rebuked him.
4: Do you not fear God,
7: since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus. Remember me when you come into your kingdom.
4: Truly, I say to you, today you
1: will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said,
4: Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit.
1: And having said this, centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God.
6: Certainly this man was innocent.
1: And all the multitudes who assembled to see the sight, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. All his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance and saw these things. Now, there was a man named Joseph, from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their purpose indeed. And, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a rock-hewn tomb where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed, and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone... Rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground... Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen... Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home wondering at what had happened. That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them,
8: What is this
4: conversation which you are holding with each other as you walk?
1: And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered,
8: Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet. Mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since this happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Oh, foolish men, and slow of heart to believe all
4: that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory?
1: And, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He appeared to be going further, but they constrained him.
8: Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent.
1: So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished out of their sight. They said to each other,
8: Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures?
1: They rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven gathered together and those who were with them.
8: The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon.
1: Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were saying this, Jesus himself stood among them
4: peace to you
1: oh. Oh. they were startled and frightened and supposed that they saw a spirit
4: why are you troubled and why do questionings rise in your hearts see my hands and my feet that it is I myself handle me and see for a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see that I have
1: And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and wondered, he said to them,
4: Have you anything here to eat?
1: They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them.
4: These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then
1: he opened their minds to understand the scriptures.
4: Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high.
1: Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. He blessed them, he parted from them, and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, blessing God.
0: That's the Easter story from the Word of God Audio New Testament at WordofGodaudiobible.com if you want to learn more about it. Lisa, you're even in this audio.
9: I was. I was Claudius. And I really did uh, learn a lot by being involved in the project and I was honored to be there.
0: Well, it's great to have you. (laughs) More of WGN Radio Theater after these words. Welcome back to the WGN Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. Lisa Wolf, my co host. What's up, Lisa? Hi.
9: You know, we're glad to be able to do this show even remotely. So we look forward to going back to the studios as soon as we can. Yeah. But for now, we're still glad
0: to be with you. We're in Mike's sunroom. It's not WGN, but guess what? It'll do in a pinch. (laughs) It's great. He's got great microphones, terrific setup. We are here every Saturday night playing all your favorite classic radio shows. We start at 10 p.m., go until 3 o'clock in the morning, five straight hours here on Saturday nights into Sunday Morning. We have The Shadow, Jack Benny, Boston Blackie, Suspense, The Whistler. We have Red Skelton, Bob Hope, you name it, all your favorite classic radio shows here on the world's greatest uh, radio station. W-G-N. And we've been on the air five years, Five
9: years. That's truly an accomplishment that I could work with you for that long. I
0: know. I'll say. You have a lot of patience. (laughs) Oh, that's for sure. (laughs) In this hour, we will have an Easter episode of the Jack Benny Program, plus part one Of the McCormick Matter on Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey.
9: We have an Easter theme going on this evening, this morning on WGN Radio Theater, and I wanted to say happy anniversary to you, Carl, to Mike, to Shantae, and to to David and everybody that works on our show, we appreciate you, we appreciate our listeners, and we're honored to be on WGN Radio for five years and, yep. and hope for many more.
0: Yep, our five-year anniversary. How great. And thanks to all of our listeners, as you said. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, it's Jack Benny. Stick around. Welcome back to the WGN Radio Theater. I want to remind all of our listeners that there are five classic radio shows waiting for you to digitally download, and you'll have them instantly if you go to one. 100radioshows.com. Just go to the number 100radioshows.com. There are five shows, Jack Benny, Suspense, Richard Diamond, Private Detective, Gunsmoke, and Febber McGee and Molly. Five shows waiting for you. And if you decide to buy any of the other hundreds of radio shows at that website, make sure you use the promo code radio at checkout because you will save... 70%.
9: 70%.
0: You sure about that?
9: I am positive.
0: 70%. Just go to 100radioshows.com. All right. In celebration of Easter, Jack Benny and all his gang. Let's go back to April 13, 1952. They take an Easter parade stroll. Here is Jack Benny.
10: And now the Jack Benny program transcribed. <laughs>
6: program starring Jack Benny, with Mary Livingston, Polaris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and the Sportsman Quartet, and yours truly, Don well, Ladies and gentlemen, it's Easter Sunday, and in cities all over the country, people are Easter parading. Right now in Beverly Hills, Jack is getting ready for his stroll down Wilshire Boulevard the moment he's taking a shower and Rochester is laying out his clothes.
11: Mm -mm, Mr.
6: Benny's been in that
7: shower a long time, but he always stays in there pretty long. He'd get through soon if he'd sing in the shower like everybody else instead of playing his violin. (laughs) Well, I'd better lay out his clothes.
12: Oh, Rochester. Yes, boss? I'm through with my shower. Bring me a nice big towel.
7: The biggest towel we have is the one you took from the Acme Plaza Hotel.
12: (laughs) Well, bring me that.
7: I can't. It's still on the roller. (laughs) (laughs)
12: Well, bring me any towel. I'm cold.
11: Yes, sir. Here you are.
12: (laughs) Thank you. Here, Rochester, hang my violin on the line.
11: <laughs> <laughs>
12: Professor LeBlanc is giving me a lesson tomorrow.
7: Yes, sir. You want your clothes now, boss?
12: Just my shorts. I'm going to do my exercises.
7: Here you are. You've really been doing your exercises regularly, haven't you?
12: That's right, Rochester. I want to look nice and trim on my TV show next Sunday. Well, I'll start with my bending exercises one, two, three, and four. Bend down, touch the floor. Lift my arms up in the air. Bend
7: down, pick up your hair.
12: <laughs> oh, yes. Gee, it's hard to bend down like that. Oh, boy.
7: Now for your knee bends. Ready? Uh-huh. Okay, go. Yeah. Down, up. Down, up. Down, up, down, up, 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 Congratulations, boss, you made it.
12: Yeah, that's enough for today. I better get dressed. And I think I'll wear my blue suit today.
7: That ought to look swell. I'll get it for you.
12: Good. And Rochester, while I finish dressing, look through my closet, see if any of my clothes need to be sent to the cleaners.
7: Yes, sir. What about this gray suit, boss?
12: I don't know. How does it look to you?
7: Well, it's got a gravy stain on the sleeve, salad dressing on the pants, butter on the cup, coffee on the lapel, and meat sauce all over the vest. It has? Yeah, shall I send it to the cleaners or put it in the refrigerator?
12: (laughs) Send (laughs) it to the cleaners. But first, to Rochester, first go through the pockets and make sure I didn't leave any money in it. Oh, boys,
11: come now.
12: Never mind, just do it Well, I'm all dressed, Rochester How do I look?
7: Fine, but you'd better put your glasses on
12: Oh, I'm not gonna wear my glasses today They make me look old
7: But you, you don't see too well without them
12: Rochester, I just wear my glasses for reading Now, let's see I think I'll take
13: a... I'll get it Oh, hello, Phil I'm Mary <laughs> Oh,
11: oh,
12: oh! happy Easter, Mary. Well, I'm ready to go walking if you are.
13: Okay, but aren't you going to say anything about my new dress?
12: Say, it's very pretty. Hey, Mary, isn't it kind of daring?
13: No, Jack, it's been the style for a couple of years. It's called a plunging neckline. Oh, oh. All the girls will be wearing them today. They will? Yes.
12: Rochester, bring my glasses. (laughs) Thanks. Come on, Mary. Let's go to the boulevard and stroll in the Easter Parade. (laughs) Gee, there are a lot of people on Wilshire Boulevard, aren't there, Mary?
13: Yeah, and everybody's dressed so nice.
12: Well, so are you. (laughs) Gee, that new hat you're wearing is really cute. Where'd you get it?
13: The May Company. They give me all my clothes.
12: The May Company gives you your clothes? Yeah, that's funny. You've been working for me for the past 15 years.
13: I know. They send me food, too.
12: (laughs) Oh, that's nice of them.
13: Say, Jack, how far do you think we ought to walk?
12: Oh, I don't know. Probably as far as La Brea, and then we'll... Oh, Jack,
13: look who's coming this way. Isn't that one of the boys in your beavers' club?
12: Oh, yes. Hello, Joey.
13: Hello, Mr. Benny. Hello, Miss Livingston. Hello, Joey. Say, that's a mighty cute rabbit you have there. Yes, it's my Easter bunny. I'm taking him over to Mr. Benny's house to feed him.
12: To my house to feed him? Why?
14: My father says you've got more lettuce than anyone in Beverly
13: Hills. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) Did you just get this rabbit, Joey? Oh, no. I got him last Easter. In fact, I had two of them.
12: Come on, Mary, let's go.
13: (laughs) Um... In just a minute, Jack Uh, what happened to your other rabbit, Joey? I don't know He just disappeared around Christmas time
12: Mary, let's go
13: (laughs) Uh, Joey, exactly when did your other rabbit disappear? It was, um, uh, December the 23rd Well, thanks for telling me Goodbye, Joey Goodbye, Miss Livingston. Goodbye, Mr. Bay.
12: Goodbye, goodbye.
13: You know, Mary... Oh, quiet. You and your mink Christmas presents.
12: (laughs) That was just a coincidence. I happened to get a mink with pink eyes. Oh, say, Mary. Mary, look at that billboard. Opening April 21st at the Philharmonic, Julie Garland and her Variety Review. You know, Mary, strolling down the boulevard today reminds me of that picture we saw a couple of years ago with Judy and Fred Astaire.
13: Oh, you mean Easter Parade?
12: Yeah, that's the one. Remember at the start of the picture when Fred was walking along Fifth Avenue singing that song and the people answered him? How did that song go again?
13: (laughs) Never saw such a lovely day. Happy Easter.
11: Happy Easter.
12: It's such fun just to nod and say Happy Easter.
13: Happy Easter. My oh me, there's so much to see as you stroll the avenue. And you greet all the friends you meet. Happy Easter to you.
12: Isn't it nice, Mary? They all answered it. Just like they did in the picture. Yeah. Say, Mary, look, there's Phil Harris standing on the corner. Are you sure? Well, he's standing, but I think it's him. (laughs) Yes, it is. You're
13: right.
11: Hello, Phil.
12: Hi, Olivia, you little
2: Easter bunny. (laughs) Who's that egg you got with you?
12: (laughs) Darn it, I forgot to take off my bathing cap. Say, Phil, Mary and I are strolling down Wilshire. Want to join us? No, Jackson, no. The Chamber of Commerce wants me to stand here till another bus
2: comes by. Another bus? Yeah, I'm the grand finale, the 95-cent tour. (laughs) What? Them out-of-towners go nuts. (laughs) Oh, brother.
13: Uh, Phil, uh, Phil, aren't you a little conceited?
2: Nah, nah. is when you think you got it and you ain't. (laughs) Phil, and you've got it? Well, I must have, Jackson. They want me to run for president on the Prohibition ticket.
12: <laughs> Mary, Mary, you talk to him, will you? I can't.
13: Look, Phil, Jack and Step I... Step
2: back, Libby. Here comes another bus of tourists. I got to take a bow.
12: Hmm.
13: Phil, Jack and I are going for a walk. Do you want to join us or not? I'd
2: love to, Mary, but some of my musicians are going to pick me up. They have a little card game, and they need a fifth for bridge. Phil, you mean a fourth for bridge? No, a fifth. They play and I pour. (laughs) Oh, Harris, you can always depend on a feed line from that gray haired gentleman with the button shoe.
12: (laughs) Come on, Mary, let's go.
13: All right. So long, Phil. Hey, so
2: long, Livia. See you later.
12: Come on, doll face, we got a long way to walk yet. Walking with you side by side, Happy Easter.
13: Happy Easter.
12: Fills my chest with so much pride, Happy Easter.
13: Happy Easter. Why, oh me, there's so much to sing as you stroll the avenue. And you, and you greet, greet all, all the friends you,
12: friends you meet, Happy, Happy Easter to you. <laughs> Gosh, what perfect weather. Spring, <laughs> the skies are clear, the flowers are blooming, the sun is shining... Hey, look who's here, my violin teacher. Bonjour, Monsieur Benny. Well, Professor LeBlanc, what a surprise running into you.
13: Hello, Professor.
15: Bonjour, Mademoiselle.
13: Well, Professor, you certainly look nice today. Is that a new Easter suit you're wearing?
15: Mademoiselle, I am a poor violin teacher. I cannot afford to buy
12: new suits. Well, what do you do with the money I pay you for my violin lesson? I buy sleeping pills. (laughs) Oh, are they any good? No. After a few days, I wake up. (laughs) Oh, well, it was nice seeing you, Professor. And don't forget, you're giving me a violin lesson tomorrow. I will not forget. I will tie a string around my finger. Good, good. Better I should tie a rope around my neck. (laughs) What? Goodbye, Monsieur Benny. Goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs) Mary, I can't understand why he hates to give me violin lessons.
13: I can't understand it either. You play beautifully.
12: Well, I... Huh? Mary, that was sweet. What made you say that?
13: Oh, I don't know. Just an impulse. Yesterday, I kicked a cop in the pants.
12: (laughs) Sometimes you have to let yourself go, you know. Anyway, Mary, we're certainly running into a lot of people we know, aren't we? Yeah. Bum 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 happy Easter.
13: Happy Easter.
12: Bum 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 happy Easter.
13: Happy Easter.
2: Why, oh me, there's so much to see as you stroll the avenue. And you
7: greet all the friends you meet. Happy Easter to you.
14: You know, Gertrude, it's nice getting a day you It sure is nice. <laughs> Well, getting away from that CBS switchboard. Yeah. Oh, Gertrude, I feel so elegant walking in the Easter parade. How do you feel? My feet are killing me. But it's my own fault for buying such small shoes. Well, what size did you get? Nine. Oh, for heaven's sake. What's the matter? Getting your foot in a size nine shoe is like docking the Queen Mary in a Dixie cup. Oh, <laughs> look well, who's talking. Get a load of your shoes. They're not so big. They're not? Last year, when we went on our vacation, every hotel we stopped at pasted labels on them. Well, it's a natural mistake because my shoes are genuine cowhide. Cowhide? Yeah. From the way your toes stick out, it looks like milking time. <laughs> to mean like that. Oh, I'll... hey, Mabel, look. Here comes Jack Benny Yeah. And look who's with them. Mary Livingston. Mabel, they're coming toward us.
12: Yum bum 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 bum. Happy, happy, happy Easter.
11: Happy Easter.
12: De-um, dum 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 Happy Easter Happy Easter
5: My, own oh, me, there's so much to see As you stole the avenue
12: And you greet all the friends you meet Happy Easter to you Well, Don, Don Wilson Hello, Don Hello, Mary Don, I'm glad I ran into you You know that story about me In the current issue of Radio Television Mirror? Oh, yeah, Jack. Well, that same reporter Came back to see me yesterday And he wanted to get some information about you
6: Oh, really, Jack? Uh-huh Oh, Jack, it's nice to tell me this. I feel flattered what the reporter want to know.
12: Well, he wanted to know different things like what you eat for breakfast, what you eat for lunch, what you eat for dinner, what you have for dessert, what you have after dessert, <laughs> what you eat between meals, what you eat before going to bed at night, all those different things.
6: Well, that's nice, Jack, but uh, didn't he want to know anything about my work on your program?
12: Yes, yes, he did, Don. He thought that my last couple of shows weren't quite as funny as usual. He wanted to know if you ate one of my writers.
11: <laughs>
6: oh, Jack, I know you're kidding, but I wish you'd stop with that talk. You're always giving everybody the impression I'm fat.
12: All right, Don, I'll stop joking about your size.
13: Say, Don, would you like to walk down Wilshire Boulevard with us?
6: Oh, I'd love to, Mary, but I'm on the other side of the street. <laughs> oh, yes. Lift your
12: stomach, Don. Here comes a bus. <laughs> See you later. Come on, Mary. See <laughs> ya. Um, oh, clerk. Yes, sir? What can I do for you? Ways of wage, shaving cream, queenex. No, no. I'd like to buy some... Magazines, aspirin, sunglasses, wife-savers. No, no, no. All I want is... Up seltzer, tootsie walls,
11: whiting paper. <laughs>
12: can't go into one store. Hold it, Mr. Hold it. As long as you're guessing and playing games, I'll give you a hint as to what I want. Now, what do you do that relaxes you and gives you pleasure? I take off my girdle. What do you do? <laughs> well, good, good. And thank you for showing me. Happy Weester. <laughs> Come on, Mary. Let's keep walking. Never saw such a lovely day. Happy Easter.
13: Happy Easter.
2: It's such fun just to nod and say, Happy Easter.
12: Happy Easter.
13: My, oh, me, there's so much to see as you stroll the avenue.
12: And you greet all the friends you meet.
13: Happy Easter to you.
11: (laughs) Well, Mr. Kitschel...
12: Mr. Kitzel, it's nice running into you today.
2: A mutual pleasure, Mr. Benny. And how are you, Miss Livingston? Oh, I'm fine, thank you.
12: Mr. Kitzel, you certainly look nice in those striped pants, cutaway coat and top hat. Thank you. It's just right for Easter.
2: Oh, thank you. But you know, I'm also wearing it for sentimental reasons. Oh. This is the suit in what I got married.
12: Oh, when you got married? Yes. Hey, that must have been about 20 years ago.
2: Yee, yeah, funny how a little thing like that sticks with you.
11: <laughs>
2: yes, yes. Oh, my, I'll never forget that ceremony when they said if anyone has any objection to this marriage, speak now or forever, hold your peace. Yes? A voice from the back hall: don't marry her.
12: Oh, my goodness, who was it? Me, I'm a ventriloquist. <laughs> Mr. Kitzel, you're joking.
2: Unfortunately.
12: (laughs) Uh, Well, Mr. Kitzel, it was a pleasure running into you on Easter, but we've got to be moving along.
11: Goodbye,
2: Mr. Binney. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mr. Kitzel. Goodbye.
12: Ah, you know, Mary, it's always nice running into Mr. Kitzel. I don't know, he seems so cheerful and... (laughs) But...
11: But, Huh?
15: Come
1: here a
11: minute
1: (laughs) Me? Yeah
16: Excuse me, Mary Yeah? What are you
8: doing?
2: We're just strolling along in the Easter parade How far you going? To La Brea. That's fine.
12: What? You said you was going to La Brea, and I said that's fine. Wait a minute. Aren't you gonna try to talk me out of it? Not me. This is my day off. (laughs) Oh, oh. Well, happy Easter. Well, same to you. Same to you. Come on, Mary. Uh, what happened? Nothing. It's all right. We can go to La Brea.
13: <laughs> Come on. Never saw such a lovely day. Happy Easter. It's such fun just to nod and say Happy Easter.
12: And you greet all the friends you meet.
5: Happy Easter to you. Dinner! Dennis. hello mary hey dennis you having a nice easter oh sure i colored easter eggs all morning and then i hid them uh-huh and then i told my mother to go look for them Ooh,
13: that must have been fun
5: oh no it was a mess the eggs splattered all over my mother's new dress or two nightgowns and six of my father's shirts
13: Oh, uh, dennis where'd you hide the eggs
5: in the washing machine in the washing machine yeah it was awful dennis i
12: don't understand this colored easter eggs shouldn't splatter how long did you boil them
11: Oh, boy of them!
12: <laughs> Mary, you take him, will you? I'm still a little sick from Phil. But...
13: Dennis, Jack and I are walking down as far as La Brea. Would you like to join us?
12: Sure, I'm not stuck up. Well, that's mighty decent of you. <laughs> And by the way, Dennis, be sure you're, you're not late for rehearsals for my television show.
5: I won't. And my mother said that it's okay for me to appear on your TV program Sunday if you give me proper credit at the end.
12: What do you mean, proper
5: credit? Well, at the end of the program, she wants you to say, Dennis Day may also be seen on his own television show. You may buy his latest recording, I Hear a Rhapsody, at all music stores. He will soon be seen in 20th Century Fox picture the girl next door and take your judo lessons from Yamashita. <laughs> Dennis, who in the world is Yamashita? Oh, that's my mother's business name.
11: <laughs>
13: Say, Dennis, while we're walking along, why don't you sing something?
5: Well, do you think it'll be all right? I mean, here on the street?
13: Well, sure. Everybody feels good today. It's Easter. They're all singing.
11: Okay. <laughs>
5: upon it, you'll be the grandest lady in the Easter Parade. I'll be all in clover, and when they look you over, I'll be the proudest fellow in the Easter Parade. Oh, I could write a sonnet
11: about
5: your Easter bonnet and of the girl I'm taking to the Easter Oh, I could write a sonnet about your Easter bonnet and of the girl I'm taking to the...
12: Ladies and gentlemen, next Sunday night, immediately after my radio show, I will do my fifth television program of the season. My guest stars will be Dennis Day, Rochester, and one of the world's greatest violinists, Mr. Isaac Stern. I will also play a violin solo. (laughs) That's funny. They told me there would be applause here.
6: (laughs) Oh well. Happy Easter, folks. (laughs) This is Don Wilson reminding you to listen to your hip parade with Guy Lombardo every Thursday night. Consult your newspaper for time and station. The Jack Benny program has been selected as one of the programs to be heard by our armed forces overseas through the facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Stay tuned for the Amos and Andy show, which follows immediately. Transcribed, this is the CBS Radio Network.
0: And that's the Jack Benny program from April 13, 1952, Easter Parade Stroll with Jack Benny and all his gang. Okay, are you ready for part one, Lisa, of a five-part yours truly, Johnny Dollar Adventure? You
9: know, I'm loving the five-part, and it kind of keeps everybody going to the end of the show.
0: I've been getting so many emails and so many texts from our listeners. They love these Johnny Dollar Adventures. So let's go back to a broadcast date of October third, 1955. This is called the McCormick. Matter. It stars Bob Bailey here is part one. From Hollywood, it's time now for Bob Bailey as. Johnny Dollar.
3: Mr. Dollar, this is Father Taggart. I'm calling you from Ossining. I'm one of the chaplains here at Sing Sing. Oh, yes, sir. What can I do for you, Father? Well, nothing for me, Mr. Dollar, but possibly for someone else. Michael Cairn, one of our inmates, asked me to contact you. Michael Cairn? Mm hmm. You remember him? He wasn't sure you would. Old time grifter and con man who got tied up with an insurance fraud a few years ago, blonde fella? Yes. Michael wants to see you, Mister Dollar. Could you possibly find the time to come up here? Oh, well, I don't know, Father. Is this something important? It is to Michael. Ah, oh, well. Uh, look, I'll be in New York sometime next month. Maybe I'll get a chance to stop off. Well, couldn't you possibly make it sooner? Well, what's the rush? He's going to be there quite a while, isn't he? Not very long, I'm afraid. Michael is dying. All right, Father, you can expect me. <laughs>
10: Welcome to Johnny Dollar. Beginning tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
3: <laughs> expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To the Allied Casualty and Insurance Company Limited, Markham Building, Hartford, Connecticut. Attention, Ed Barth, Controller's Office. This is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the McCormick matter. Though you didn't authorize the investigation, Ed, I'm sure that once the facts are out, you will honor the following. Expense account, item one, $7.95. Train fare and incidentals, Hartford to Austin, New York. I was admitted inside the prison and greeted by Father Taggart. He's a tall, mild-looking man, a Jesuit, I believe. He had a pass all ready for me, and he led me straight to the prison infirmary. Just in here. Michael will certainly appreciate your coming, Mr. Dollar. I hope it satisfies whatever's on his mind. I can't imagine what it would be. You know it was my investigation and testimony to put him in here, Father. He told me all about that, and I'm sure it has nothing to do with why he wants to see you. See, his lungs started to go about two years ago, and there's just been no way to arrest the condition. Does he know how close he is? So he is, and he's not afraid to die. Here we are, Mr. Dollar. Oh. What? Hardly the same man I remember, Father. He's had it bad lately. lost a great deal
17: of weight. Yeah. Asleep? Yes. Michael. Michael! Oh. Hey, Father. I brought someone to see you.
3: What do you see? Hiya, Mike. Oh, thanks for coming. Thanks, Johnny. Thank Father Taggart here. Uh, He's an all right guy, Johnny. He's just like you. I always said you were the best insurance cop. Here, here, what's all this? I'm kicking out, Johnny. Didn't you tell him, Father? He told me, Mike. (laughs) Guess I didn't live right. I'll be back in a little while. Thanks, Father. You take it easy, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) A lousy place to die, Prison. But I ain't got my choice, thanks to you. Well, it's just that you picked to do a couple of things... that the law and some insurance companies didn't agree with, Mike. Uh, I don't hold none of that against you. The guy does what he does. I I don't know how to tell you this. (laughs) Maybe i better get the doctor. You shouldn't be talking so much. No, no, wait. Johnny, look, you know I'm no crybaby. When the doctor gave me the news, I, I got to thinking... I ain't scared to blow out, you understand. I know, Mike, I know. You know. It's just that I had a wife once, a long time ago, when I started
2: out.
17: Oh?
3: Yeah, then I just kind of drifted out of her picture one day. <laughs> ain't got a cough drop, have you? <laughs> Yeah, I guess it wouldn't cure what I got. Anyhow, I got to do something for her before I... Well, Johnny, I lay here and I get myself an idea. Yeah, Mike? Johnny... If there was some real easy money lying around, would you pick it up for me? Depends on how clean it is, Mike, and where it's lying. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Well, it's clean, all right. You can find that out for yourself. All right. Now, now listen. Tulay moved me down here in the infirmary. I roomed upstairs with Jojo Penny. You know him? No, don't believe I do. And Carthy from the Hay States. Got his sabbatical three weeks ago. Paroled. Uh huh. Well, I've been in the camp with a lot of guys, but Jojo Penny (laughs) takes the cake. He's got a little old five-year trick to put in. (laughs) This Jojo, he does it like a vacation. You know, a real picnic. (laughs) Every time he gets a chance out in the yard, he's taking sun. So he don't get the color, see? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When they push him in with me, I notice this. And I get to going over in my head. Yeah, why does a guy whistle in a cell block, Johnny? Why why is he treating it like a rest home? Short term. He's got something outside waiting. (laughs) That's it, baby. He's got something waiting for him outside. Something that he knows will keep safe. Money. Thought you said this was legitimate, Mike. (laughs) It is, it is. Now, wait. I didn't ask Jojo anything about this. No, I figured it out myself. Then a couple of times I hear him yelling in his sleep. McCormick, he yells. McCormick. Huh? Eh? Make sense now, Johnny? Not yet. Ah, the big heist, Johnny, the big heist. A few years ago, a rich guy named McCormick out on Long Island or someplace like that gets turned over for a $100,000 worth of jewelry. You remember? Vaguely. Exactly. Eh. well, I'm thinking that Jojo Penny was in on it somewhere. Mm. else why would he be singing and whistling and chilling himself around this fly trap for five years else why would he be talking about that when he's sleeping McCormick. McCormick. yeah maybe you've got something mike Uh, i know i got something johnny
17: and you got something too (laughs) oh no mike take it easy oh i'm all right i'm all right don't you see the insurance company must have a reward out
3: they always do a reward. Yeah, but Mike, look. I tell you, Jojo is the Ginzo that done the job. Or he knows who did it. So, you look into it. Work on it. Maybe turn up the stuff and get the reward. Good clean coin. Yeah. Yeah. Send half of it to my old lady, will you? You
17: keep the rest yourself. What do you say? Huh? Will you? Mike Kern
3: died three hours later. The last living thing he did was wink at me. Expense account item 2 $14.20. Train fare and incidentals, Ossining to New York. I arrived at 2.15, dropped my bag off at the New Weston... and went over to the Metropolitan Police Station... to find out what I could about the McCormick matter. It was all pretty much as old Mike had told me. A Julian McCormick living on Long Island... had suffered a $100,000 jewelry burglary in 1951. Twelve suspects had been arrested and released. The case was marked open and unsolved. Allied casualty had been the insurance company involved. This is the adjustment office. Frank Porter speaking. My name's Johnny Dollar, Mr. Porter. I'm an investigator... Oh, I think I've heard of you, Mr. Dolly. Yeah? Wonder if you could give me a little information about a claim your company handled in 1951. A man named Julian McCormick out on Long Island. Jeep well, long time ago. Uh, what about the McCormick claim? I might have some information on it. I don't know yet. It's a long chance. I'm at police headquarters, and I noticed you investigated for the insurance company. I'd like to talk to you. Yeah, sure, but it's kind of late today. Tomorrow, okay? Well, you can tell me this right now. Is there any reward being offered? Gee whiz, kind of falls my sails. How's that? Well, asking about a reward. You sound like you can make full recovery and want to make sure that you'll be paid for it. Well, I said it was just a long shot. How about the reward? Well, that's pretty standard with us on cases like this. Yeah, I think it's 7,500 something like that. I'm not sure. Where are you staying? New Weston. Well, I'll look it up, get the exact figure and call you there. How'll that be? Fine, thanks. That'll be fine. Before I left the police station, I turned out a mug on Jojo Panny. He was a big, broad-shouldered lad with plenty of beef... and a list of petty convictions, four of them in New York State. The last one was for carrying concealed weapons... His parole status was good, though, and the parole officer furnished me with his home address. The Allen Hotel, rates right, day, week, or month. 115th Street.
5: It's open, it's open. Come on in. Hiya.
3: Looking for Joe Panton. Yes, sir. That's me. My name's Johnny Dollar. Yeah? I, uh, I just came down from Ossining. I saw a friend of yours up there, Joe. Who was that? Mike Cairn. How's Mike? Not so good. He died today. Uh, it's too bad. He was a nice old coot. Kind of liked him. Said if I ever saw you, to say hello. Uh huh. He didn't give you my address. No, I got it from the parole office. You some kind of cop? No, I work for an insurance company. Oh. Buy you a drink? Sure. Why not? Expense account, item three, four dollars even for drinks. I wanted to look at Jojo Panning and talk to him and figure out how I was going to go about getting information from him. And the more I saw and the more he talked, the more I wondered if whatever he might have said about the McCormick case in his sleep happened to some other McCormick. After all, a man with a long list of petty thieveries is hardly ever involved in a slick, big-time, safe-cracking job. That takes another kind of talent, and one I was sure that Jojo didn't have. I'm (coughs) not... So I've just been taking
5: it easy and looking around. I figure I can get a job pushing a truck or maybe a cab if I'm lucky. Gotta get something to do. Parole officer's kind of hard nosed about
3: things like that. Yeah. Drink up. Want one more? Oh no, no thanks. Three's my limit. Like to keep in shape. Sure. Say, uh, you got anything to do? Nothing special. Why? Thought I might go out to Long Island later on tonight to say hello to an old friend of mine. If you haven't got anything to do, come on along. (laughs) You're okay, bub. Sure, why not? Uh, This friend of yours, he's an ex-con too? No, he never did any time. Just a friend. Want to say hello is all. Oh. Rich fella. His name's Julian McCormick. You're... uh... Very big with the hellos around here today, aren't you? Anything wrong, Joe? You probably are. Why do you say that? Nothing. Ever know anyone named McCormick? I knew a guy named Arnie McCormick once back in Salt Lake City. We were pals for a while. Oh. Yeah. Arnie was killed in the war. He'd got himself drafted in the infantry. Maybe he's related to my friend Julian McCormick out on Long Island. He wasn't related to anybody, not that bird. I'm leaving. I want to get up early tomorrow. Why not come with me? (laughs) Thanks for the drinks. He drifted off down the street and left me standing there. And one thing I was sure of, he had the name McCormick on his mind. Whether it was the right McCormick or the right case, I didn't know. Anyhow, he was my one big lead. So I was back at his hotel early the next morning and talking to the desk clerk.
2: Penny, did you say room
3: 210? Yeah, that's right. Vamoose. What? He left bagging baggage last night. Well, where did he go? What's his forwarding address? He didn't say. Just left.
10: Now, here's our star, Bob Bailey, to tell you about tomorrow's episode. Thanks. Tomorrow, there's living proof that a pretty girl
3: can be just as dangerous as... A pretty girl. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
10: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson. The entire production is under the direction of Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking.
0: That's part one of a five-part adventure on yours truly, Johnny Dollar with the McCormick Matter from October 3rd, 1955. I want to remind everyone listening that we have a classic radio club. This is a club that we started about two years ago. And uh, you can join the club and get 10 shows sent to you each and every month. Now, these are shows... ...that I hand-select from over 100,000 master recordings. So the quality of the shows you're going to get are amazing. You'll get 10 shows each month, plus copious liner notes. And you can get these shows via digital download. 10 shows, digital downloads, sent to your computer. And you can listen to them on any listening device or you can get 5 CDs with 10 shows in a collector case to learn all about the classic radio club go to classic radio club Dot com, right, Lisa?
9: Right. I love the digital downloads. They're kind of instant. I like that instant gratification.
0: Yeah. And I know Mike loves the CDs. I actually like the CDs. I have them on my shelf. Like I just, every month I put the next one on the shelf and I got like, you know, all 20 something of these. And I have
9: a folder on my computer <laughs> called
0: Classic Radio Club. There you go. Well, you're technical. I'm not, uh,
9: you know, I'm so so. That, <laughs> I'm not
0: that technical. Okay. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater.
9: So I know you mentioned we have a new sponsor which yes. is Burdines and I actually had some beautiful pieces of jewelry sitting around in my drawer for many years actually until you what kind? mentioned Burdines. Well I had some jewelry from my mom. Uh-huh. I had a watch and yeah. a bracelet and a couple other really beautiful things that uh, I don't know they were really special and beautiful but at the same time, they really weren't my style. Right. So I thought, you know what? I will trust you and call Matt Burdine because his team, I, as you tell me, pays top dollar for my jewelry, my gemstone, my watches. I don't have any coins, but I know that they work with that too. Um. Or they could revitalize some of my older pieces and make them a little bit more for me, my style and my look, and just make them more beautiful so that I would enjoy them. So Burdine's offers Phone and FaceTime consultations. I know that because we've done that. They send me an insured prepaid shipping label so I don't have to come into the store. And now that you told me about Burdines, I now trust Burdines for my jewelry buying and selling. You guys should too. You can visit their website. It's burdeens.com. That's B-U-R-D-E-E-N-S.com. So mention this radio offer and get a free appraisal your jewelry, your gemstones, your coins, your watches, and it's a, it's a great system right now.
0: Turn it into cash.
9: definitely.
0: Yep. Go to Burdens, B-U-R-D-E-E-N-S dot com. What's on our next hour, Lisa?
9: We have The Life of Riley, another Easter story, and we have Johnny Dollar uh, Part 2. We
0: don't want to miss that. No way. All right. Stick around, folks. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back to the WGN Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari, Lisa Wolf, my co-host. And in this hour, it's The Life of Riley, a good Easter show from 1946 starring William Bendix. Plus, we'll tune into part two of The McCormick Matter on yours truly, Johnny Dollar. It's all coming your way after this quick break.
9: Welcome back to the WGN Radio Theater. We're glad everybody is with us this morning. I wanted also to let everybody know this later on this morning, there will be an Easter Mass that Sunday morning right here on WGN Radio beginning right after the 9 o'clock news. All right. So join us for that. We are carrying them through the Archdiocese of Chicago. That's
0: 9 a.m. this morning. Just after the news. Excellent. Okay, it's time now for The Life of Riley. William Bendix stars as Chester A. Riley. He was a devoted family man and airplane riveter this was a series created by a good friend of mine irving brecker now he created this series originally lisa for his friend groucho Marx, and he called the show the flotsam family but it didn't sell he took yeah. it everywhere and it didn't sell because nobody could really see groucho you know with the painted mustache and the cigar and everything they couldn't envision him as the head of a household So years later, he retooled the show, called it The Life of Riley, and hired William Bendix as Chester A. Riley. Very good series. Came to radio in 1941, lasted all the way to 1951, made a transition to television, and uh, was very, very popular. And I think you're going to love this. We have an Easter show from April 20th, 1946. William Bendix stars now in The Life of Riley.
16: Teal for a beautiful smile, the life of Riley for laughs. Teal, T-E-E-L, Teal, the amazing liquid dentifrice. That's it. T-E-E-L. Teal, the amazing liquid dentifrice brings you the life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. Friends, for beautiful smiles, it's P-E-E-L, Teal. And just for last, it's R-I-L-E-Y, Riley, in the life of Riley. Over the garden of Chester A. Riley's California bungalow, darkness has fallen. Darkness and silence. In the blackness of the backyard, our hero Riley stands, a solitary figure, alert and watchful, waiting, waiting. Ah, what's that? Footsteps on the gravel path. And now the fearless Riley grows tense. The footsteps come closer. Closer. Suddenly, Riley leaps forward.
18: (laughs) (sighs) (gasps) 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 You may be bigger than me, but I ain't afraid of you. Uh,
19: (gasps) Riley! (gasps) Let go of me!
18: (sighs) She's thumping. (laughs)
11: Oh. Oh, it's you. Oh.
18: It's a good thing you yelled out when we started the fight. Otherwise, I might have got hurt.
11: <laughs>
19: Riley, what's the big idea scaring the wits out of people? Huh? And what are you doing out in the garden this time of night? Shh.
18: Peg, not so loud. I'm watching. Watching what? My carrots. <laughs>
19: For heaven's sake, Riley, why should anybody want to steal your carrots?
18: Well, I think somebody found out that I got a secret fertilizer for making vegetables grow very big. And they want to steal it.
19: Secret fertilizer? Yeah. Oh, you mean that awful mixture you've been mixing out of vitamins and dried fish? Oh, Riley. Oh, all
18: right. Go ahead, laugh. Laugh.
19: Laugh. (laughs) They laughed
18: at all the great scientists who were trying to benefit mankind. They laughed at Louis Pasteur when he gave microbes to humanity.
19: <laughs> oh, come in the
18: house. No, no, I'm watching for this carrot crook. And when I catch him, I'm... Look, Peg, the prowler. There he is. Where? Over there.
19: Oh, Riley. It's only a rabbit.
18: Uh, a rabbit? Ah, oh, I'll fix him. Where's a stick? I'll scare the daylights out of him.
19: Oh, dear, it's late.
18: Come on in. Okay, okay, but you don't know rabbits. By tomorrow, there'll be more rabbits that I can shake a stick at. <laughs> <laughs> Say, uh, did Bebs get me some more dried fish for my fertilizer?
19: Oh, no, she went to the movies with Simon Vanderhopper.
18: Simon? Oh, that's Simon. I don't want that loafer taking my daughter to movies.
19: What's wrong with the
18: movies? I've been in them movies. I've seen what goes on with the younger generation in them balconies.
19: (laughs) Well, what if Simon does hold Babs' hands?
18: Holding hands is one thing. Doing it with a half-Nelson is another.
20: (laughs) Simon, you better go. I only let you come into the house because you said you wanted a glass of water. But you didn't even drink it.
21: I tricked you, Babs. I had another reason for coming into the house and sitting beside you on the couch. Oh, what was the reason? My feet are killing me.
20: (laughs) Simon, you'd better go before my father comes in and catches you here.
21: Not yet. First, you gotta kiss me.
20: Why, Simon, behave!
21: I can't go on like this. Just seeing you makes my blood boil. Right now, I can feel my corpuscles
11: cooking. (laughs) I
21: love you, Babs. I love you madly. Simon, for heaven's sake, will you go? Gee, I don't understand why your father can't learn to like me. My father learned to like me. (laughs) Maybe if I went in and had a man-to-man talk with him. Oh, maybe, but better wait till
20: after Easter. He's in a bad mood tonight. He's in charge of an Easter party his lodge is giving, and he's having a terrible time trying to think up clever stunts for the children.
21: Maybe if I helped your father with with his Easter party, that might change his attitude toward me.
20: Oh, well, maybe, but... Well, have you got an idea?
21: Well, at the party, I could dress up like an Easter bunny.
20: A bunny? Oh, so then that's wonderful. Well, the children would love a big bunny.
21: Uh, that is, if I don't have to hop. I can't hop very well. I have fallen arches.
20: <laughs> All you'll have to do is hand out the Easter eggs to the kids. Oh, come on, let's go tell Daddy. Uh,
21: no, he might not want to listen. Let's surprise him. I'll rent a rabbit suit, and tomorrow night I'll put it on and I'll sneak in through your garden. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> Somebody's going to get a big surprise.
11: <laughs>
22: you, <Yoo-hoo>, Mr. Riley. <laughs> it's me, Waldo Benny. Oh. Hello Waldo. How are you? Oh, my aching back. (laughs) Seems my dear wife got an anonymous Easter card and recognized my handwriting.
18: Well, what did you say on the card, Waldo?
22: It was a poem. Hmm. The little buds grow into flowers when Easter comes our way. And you, my darling, you grow too. You grow five pounds a day. (laughs) Well, no wonder she beat you up. Yes, but I got revenge. Just wait till she sinks her teeth into the colored eggs I gave her. Why, Waldo? Well, you see, one of them isn't an egg. It's a chocolate-covered billiard ball.
11: (laughs) Oh, what a
18: thing to do.
22: Oh, yes, I'm a fiend. Well, good night, Mr. Riley. It's getting late. Yeah, I know, but I'm
18: staying out here. I I gotta watch my carrots. Last night there was a little rabbit nibbling at them. If I ever lay my hands on that rabbit, my wife's coat will have a new mink collar. Uh,
22: Mr. Riley, mm. are
18: you still experimenting with your fertilizer? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I call it Riley Grow. <laughs> it, it, it's going to make my vegetables so big I'll have to pull them out of the ground with a bulldozer.
11: <laughs> I'll
18: make a fortune. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Riley.
22: What's the matter? There's something moving out there now.
18: Oh, it must be the rabbit.
22: S- see over by the fence there?
18: Yeah. Yeah, it's all white and...
22: Holy smoke! Heavens to Bessie! Jump and catch me! Oh, my stars! Waldo!
18: Do you see what I see? Yes,
22: I see it. A rabbit five feet tall! (laughs) Oh, my! He's coming toward us. Save me, Mr. Riley.
18: He's going to attack. Don't be afraid, Waldo. I'll protect you. Stand in front of me. (laughs) He's coming closer. Get away! Can I shoot? No, 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 no! no Riley, it's all right, Don't Mr. Riley. Riley. No, you can stop now. It's gone. Stop, stop. Oh, he's gone, mm-hmm. Waldo! Waldo, I, I, I still can't believe it. Maybe we,
22: we just imagined that rabbit. Oh no, we didn't. Look at those huge footprints. Uh, no, that rabbit was real. But,
18: but how can it be? A rabbit over five feet tall. It's impossible. How how could he grow so big with...
22: Waldo, huh?
18: I got it. It's my Riley grow. My fertilizer. Well, what's that got to do with it? Well, I used it on these carrots to make them grow big. The last time I saw that rabbit, he was small, eating my carrots. (laughs) And now...
22: That's it, Waldo, that's it. But it didn't make the carrots big. I don't understand it.
18: Do you understand radar or atoms or plutonium? Uradium and palladium. <laughs> no, but they work.
22: Mr. Riley, you are right. You've made a tremendous, earth-shaking discovery. You are a great man. Yeah.
18: I can see the newspaper headline now. Ignoramus becomes genius. <laughs>
21: Start the car. He's after me.
20: What's wrong, Simon? Didn't Daddy like your idea?
21: I couldn't tell. He was too busy throwing rocks. Start the car before he gets here.
20: Oh, now, Simon, we're going back in there and explain to
21: Daddy. No, no, he'll kill me.
20: Don't be silly. Now, come on.
21: Well, all right. But not in this rabbit suit. I'll leave it here. If I have to die for you, Babs, I'll die like a man. Not like a rabbit. <laughs> Mr.
22: Riley, huh? I just can't get over it. You, a famous scientist. Famous?
18: <laughs> I'll be notorious.
11: Oh, <laughs>
18: yeah.
22: just think. Someday your brain will be in Harvard University uh, in a bottle.
11: <laughs>
22: yeah.
18: I can hardly wait to see it.
11: It's amazing. It's
18: amazing. Just just think, Waldo. One bite out of one of my carrots... Mr. I, Riley. Uh, uh, what's the matter, Waldo?
22: You've been eating those carrots, too.
18: Yeah, delicious.
22: But good heavens, don't you see? If the stuff works on rabbits, then... Waldo! You, can... you mean I'm going to grow? <laughs> no. No, it ain't possible. In science, anything is possible. Oh, that, that's true. Oh, Waldo, what am I going to do if I grow a... No, no, pull yourself together, Mr. Riley. Lots of people admire tall men. But that rabbit grew five times its size.
18: I'll be 30 feet high.
22: Now, 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 don't be an alarmist. You probably will not be more than 15 feet high.
11: <laughs> but
22: I don't want to
18: be 15 feet high. Where will I live? My room's too small I'll have to sleep with my feet sticking out the window The milkman's
22: horse will lick them Now, now, keep calm, Mr.
20: Riley
19: Daddy, are you in the kitchen?
20: Oh,
18: Oh, that's Babs Don't tell her about this, Waldo Not yet I I, I don't want to worry my poor family Daddy, Simon is here Simon I got enough trouble without that pest Now, wait, Mr. Riley I can explain Simon!
23: But Mr. Riley, give me a chance Simon,
18: get out of this
21: house <laughs> All right But someday you'll learn to like me You'll see In time, I'll grow on you
11: <laughs> I
18: don't want you growing on me <laughs> Right now, I'm growing on myself
11: <laughs> Simon,
5: get out of this house <laughs>
16: Well, I just brought to the first act of the life of Riley, and we'll be back with Riley in just a moment. Meanwhile, this is Ken Carpenter. Have you been promising yourself to try Teal, the only leading dentifrice that cleans teeth without abrasives, protects teeth from ground-in gumline cavities? Today, without risking a penny, you can try Teal. Just get the special bargain package: the large fifty-cent Teal and the ten-cent size—a sixty-cent value, both for thirty-nine cents. Use the small bottle. See how gently Teal's patented ingredient cleans your teeth, avoids harsh abrasive action that gradually grinds in cavities at the gum line. If after using the 10-cent bottle, you aren't completely delighted with Teal, return the large-sized bottle unopened to your dealer. He'll refund the full purchase price. The test will have cost you nothing. But remember, this offer is for a limited time only, so act now. Ask for the special Teal offer. T-E-E-L, teal, the tangy, refreshing, liquid dentifrice. And now back to the life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. Well, actually, the five-foot rabbit that Riley saw in his vegetable garden was really his daughter's boyfriend, Simon, who dressed up in a rented rabbit costume. But poor Riley is certain that his own secret fertilizer, which he would put on his carrots, is responsible for raising this gigantic rabbit. Now, having eaten some of the same carrots himself, Riley now fears that he is about to grow into a giant. But his family has no inkling of what's going on.
20: Mother, isn't it time Daddy got up? He's got to get down to his lodge and get ready for the Easter party.
19: Oh, let him sleep a little longer. I don't think your father's well. What's the matter? Well, I don't know. It it started last night at dinner. He wouldn't touch his rabbit stew. (laughs) And all through the night, he kept getting out of bed and looking in the mirror. Well, I hope he'll be all right for the Easter party Oh, well, I don't think it's anything serious Now, you go wake up Junior and tell him to get dressed Oh, by the way, did the tailor bring Junior's pants? Yes Oh, let's see, where'd I put
20: them? Oh, yes, I left them on the chair in Daddy's bedroom uh,
19: Shall I go in and get them? Oh, no,
20: dear
11: uh,
19: Let's let your father have another few minutes sleep He needs it I wish I knew what was worrying him
18: Seven feet, ten feet, twelve feet. I can't stop growing. Oh, now my head is hitting the ceiling. (laughs) What'll I do? I'll knock my brains out. Wake up. dog, Huh?
19: Time to get up,
18: dear. Oh, Oh, it's you, Peg. Oh, thank heaven. It was only a dream.
19: Hurry up and get dressed, dear. I'll get your breakfast ready. Okay.
18: Okay, Peg. I'll be dressed in a minute. Oh, where's my pants? Oh, here they are on a chair. Gosh, I wish I could go back to bed. No, I'd better get my pants on.
11: That's funny.
18: They're so tight What's happening? No No, it can't be (laughs) The pants won't pull up They're too small And I ain't even up to my white part (laughs) It's happened I'm getting too big for my britches. I'm growing. Just like the rabbit. I'm getting bigger by the second. I feel it. My throat is swelling up. I need air. The windows.
24: Who oh there, Riley. Uh, who's that? It's I, Dickby O'Dell. The friendly undertaker.
11: Huh?
24: Hello, Digger. Greetings, Riley. You're looking fine. Very natural.
18: I don't feel so good.
24: Tell me, Riley, why are you leaning out the window in that odd fashion? I'm breathing. Breathing? Yeah. Fine habit. (laughs) Don't stop on my account. (laughs)
11: Listen,
18: Digger. I'm in trouble. Uh, Come in the house. Come in through this window.
24: If you insist. But I'm not accustomed to getting into such a small opening. Oh, good heavens, Riley. Look at your trousers. Yeah. Yeah, I
18: know. Listen, Digger. What would you say if I told you that I suddenly begun to grow again? And soon I'll be 15 feet tall.
24: 15 feet? Oh, that would upset certain plans I've made for you.
11: (laughs) I
24: bought you a bathrobe for your birthday. And it's only size 42. Oh,
18: it's awful, Digger. I'm like Frankenstein. I've created a monster. And I'm the monster.
24: That's absurd. You look the same to me. However, just to make sure, I'll measure you. Lie down, Riley. You want me to lie down? Oh, excuse me, I forgot. In your case, I'll make an exception.
11: <laughs>
24: now let's see. Mm-hmm. Just as I thought. You're still five foot eleven. Are you, are
18: you sure, Digger? But these pants, look at them, they hardly... Wait a minute. What's this in my pocket? Marbles.
11: <laughs>
18: when did I play marbles last? Oh, 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 Digger, these are Junior's pants. Oh, and I thought I was growing. I guess my formula only makes rabbits grow. Yeah, that's it. Rabbits, Riley? Really? What rabbits? Oh, never mind, Digger. Oh boy, what a relief. Well, I'm going to enjoy my Easter holiday after all.
24: Easter is my favorite holiday. Ah, uh, Easter. Getting your pocket feet as you walk in the Easter parade. <laughs> Sitting down on a gaily-colored, hard-boiled egg they forgot to boil.
11: <laughs>
24: Watching my favorite spring flowers budding anew, lilies. <laughs> Forget-me-nots and croakers.
9: <laughs>
24: I adore Easter. It's okay.
11: <laughs>
24: well, cheerio. It's time I was shoveling off.
18: Come <laughs> so on, Digger. Uh, watch your head going through the window. Ah, what a sweet guy. Always ready to give people a lift.
19: <laughs> Riley, dear, aren't you dripping? Oh, Riley, your pants!
18: Oh, my pants! Oh, oh, yeah. Don't get frightened, Peg. I tore Junior's pants when I got into them because I was 15 feet tall. I i I mean, I thought I was 15 feet tall.
19: 15 feet? Yeah. Riley, dear, maybe you better get back into bed. (laughs) Bed? Oh,
18: oh, you think I'm crazy. (laughs) Well, I got a good logical reason for thinking I was 15 feet tall.
19: Oh, you have? Sure.
18: Cause the rabbit I saw in the garden was over five feet tall.
19: The rabbit was five. Dear, I'll get you an ice bag. But wait a minute! Stop
18: feeling my head. I ain't crazy.
19: But you're you're talking so foolish.
18: Oh, oh, no wonder you think I'm nuts. You don't know why the rabbit is five feet tall. Why,
19: dear? Tell me. <laughs>
11: On
18: account of he's been eating my carrots that I grew with my secret formula. It makes rabbits grow ten times their size. Oh, oh, Peg. Peg, this is terrible. I didn't realize. Now,
19: now, Riley, please, dear, control yourself.
18: Look what I've let loose in the world. Do you know what'll happen when five-foot rabbits begin chasing each other over Hollywood and Vine? (laughs) (laughs) It'll be the end of civilization.
19: Uh, Riley, now Listen. You didn't see a five-foot rabbit. And even if you did, it's only one rabbit.
18: Yeah, now it's only one rabbit. (laughs) But spring is in the air. Suppose that rabbit decides to get married. (laughs) Here's an aspirin, dear. Pretty soon there'll be so many big rabbits, us humans will be driven to the woods. There'll be rabbits in the streets. Rabbits in our homes. Rabbits will be going into restaurants and ordering Welsh
7: Riley. Oh, Riley.
11: Please stop this crazy
19: talk.
18: Let me go, Peg. I gotta trap that rabbit and keep him a bachelor.
11: (laughs) (laughs) But you couldn't have
19: seen a five foot rabbit. I tell you, I did see him. Now you listen to me. Uh, What happened to you is what they call an optical illusion. Now, you may have seen a rabbit in the garden, but it was only a little rabbit. Well, Pat,
21: I got that rabbit suit on again. How do I look?
20: Simon, maybe we better forget about this whole thing. Oh, no, it's
21: a great idea. I'll be tops with your father after this. Where is he? Oh, he's still dressing in his room Boy, wait till he comes in When he sees a big rabbit sitting here in his Morris chair It'll <laughs> knock his eyes off
11: Now,
19: the minute your father's finished
21: dressing
11: You go in
19: It was all your imagination Now, wasn't it? Well, I... Oh, huh? come on now, admit it
18: uh, yeah. yeah, Peg, you're, you're right you, you convinced me I imagined the whole thing
19: Well, I'm glad that's cleared up Now you relax while I get this room straight Oh, the Sunday paper's in the living room, dear In your Morris chair Okay, Dumplin', I'll get it
18: (laughs) (laughs) Imagine thinking I saw a five-foot rabbit (laughs) It's ridiculous Only lunatics see five-foot rabbits (laughs) Why, I ought to have my... (laughs) Hey, he's in there the rabbit. He's sitting in my Morris chair.
19: The rabbit Now, Riley, don't start Shh. that
11: again.
18: I'm gonna look again.
11: <laughs> now
18: he's reading the Sunday papers.
19: This has gone far enough. Now I'm going to prove to you once and for all that. No, there's
18: no-, no, no, Peg, don't go in there. He may be vicious.
19: Daddy, hurry up.
18: Babs. She's in there. Helpless i got to save her. Now i got you, you monster. Oh, Mr. Go. Get Mr. Get into my house, will you? I'll show you.
11: Daddy. Oh, oh Riley, wait. Mr. Riley,
18: wait. wait. Hang off. Cal, shut up, you beast. You can't talk yourself out of gear. <laughs> <laughs> it
11: talks.
21: The rabbit talks But, Mr. Riley, it's me, Simon
20: Oh, 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 Riley Daddy, you thought the rabbit was real? Wait a minute,
18: wait a minute You mean it ain't a real rabbit, it's only Simon? Sure, it's me, Mr. Riley What a revolting development he is (laughs) Simon, get out of that costume, you faker But, Mr. Riley Take it off or I'll rip it off yeah, it's off. Simon,
21: get out of this house. <laughs> yes, sir. I'm going. I know the way by heart.
11: <laughs>
18: and don't come back. No daughter of mine is gonna go out with an imitation,
16: rabbit. Raleigh <laughs>
11: well,
16: is we'll be back in half a minute. Now, at your dealer, a special offer on Teal, the liquid dentifrice. With a large 50-cent size, you get a 10-cent bottle, a 60-cent value, both for 39 cents. If you aren't delighted with Teal, return the large Teal bottle unopened and get your money back.
18: Well, it's time to hand out these Easter eggs to the kids. <laughs>
20: if you hadn't thrown Simon out, Daddy, you wouldn't have had to dress up in that rabbit
18: suit. Oh, I don't need Simon. I got enough brains to be a rabbit. <laughs>
11: Well, better get
18: started Come on, come on, come on, kiddies Your Uncle Bunny's got some lovely Easter eggs for you Now, who's first? Come on Ah, here you are, little girl Take your egg and... uh, uh, What's the matter, little girl? Afraid of Uncle Bunny? What are you staring at?
19: Oh, Mommy, look at the big ears on that rabbit
11: Oh, oh, is that so? (laughs) Well, it so happens that these are my own ears
5: (laughs) Happy Easter, everybody
16: and Gamble, makers of Teal, the amazing liquid dentifrice, invites you to be their guests next week to hear the life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. William Bendix appears by arrangement with Hal Roach and may soon be seen in Paramount's The Blue Dahlia. The life of Riley is produced for Teal by Irving Brecker and is directed by Don Bernard. Music by Lou Kozlov. This is Ken Carpenter on behalf of Teal, inviting you to listen again next week. And remember, for laughs, it's R-I-L-E-Y, Riley, and for lovely smiles, it's T-E-E-L, Teal, teal, the amazing liquid dentifrice protects teeth beautifully.
25: It's a washing miracle for silks, nylons, woolens, dishes. What are you talking about? Dreft. I'll spell it. D-R-E-F-T, dreft. Yes, ladies, and Dreft spells faster, brighter, safer cleaning than any suds before in history. That's
20: true. Take lingerie, for example. Why, Dreft keeps my dainty under things fresher and brighter than even expensive soap plates.
25: Right. You see, Dreft is different from soap. Dreft's rich suds rinse clean and clear. They simply can't leave any sticky deposit the way all soaps do. No wonder Dreft keeps lingerie, stockings, new woolens prettier and brighter far longer than any soap could ever do with Dreft. There's no soap fading.
20: Yes, and for washing dishes, Dreft is just unbelievable. Why, Dreft makes my dishes shine even without wiping. Every woman knows how dishes washed with soap dry with a greasy film unless you polish them. Well, my Dreft wash dishes drain dry, bright and sparkling. Even glasses sparkle without touching a towel to them.
25: Yes, ladies. Decide now to open up this bright new world of beauty for your nice things, for your fine washables, for your dishes. So get Dreft In the bright green package, DREFT, Procter & Gamble's amazing suds discovery that gives you faster, brighter, safer cleaning than any suds before in history. That's D-R-E-F-T, DREFT. Next time you shop, get DREFT.
16: Listen again next week, same time, when Teal, for a beautiful smile, brings you the life of Riley for laughs.
15: This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.
0: And that's The Life of Riley from April 20th, 1946, Good Easter Show, starring William Bendix. All right, well, are you ready for part two of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar? Yes. It's called The McCormick Matter, October 4th, 1955. Here's Bob Bailey now in Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. From
10: Hollywood, it's time now for Bob Bailey as... Johnny Dollar.
3: It's Frank Porter, ally casually.
10: Yes, Mr. Porter.
3: Oh, call me Frank, Johnny. Uh, you phoned yesterday about the McCormick matter. I got all the stuff about the case on my desk here. And we're still offering $7,500 reward. Thanks for confirming it, Frank. Sure. Uh, you got a tip or something? An old con named Mike Cairn gave me a tip. About a guy named Jojo Panney. I'm working on it. Well, need any help? No, not yet. I might. Jojo pulled out of his hotel last night, bag and baggage. huh, oh, what are you going to do? I'm on my way to Long Island. Huh? I want to talk to McCormick himself. Oh, Johnny. Yeah? Let me give you a tip for your own good. Don't bother Julian McCormick unless you've really got something. Could be dangerous. I think I've got something.
10: Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
3: Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To the Allied Casualty and Insurance Company Limited, Markham Building, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the McCormick matter. Item four, $10 deposit on the car I rented to drive out to Julian McCormick's home on Long Island. And judging by the looks of the place, a safe full of $100,000 worth of jewelry would feel right at home. It was a mansion, and the rugs on the floor were an inch thick.
15: I'm sorry I've kept you waiting. Mrs. McCormick and I were packing for a little trip to Europe. Sit down, please. Thanks. Going to be gone long? Oh, we usually spend several months a year over there. We're a bit late this year. Our reservations are for next week. I envy you, Mr. McCormick. Dollar, the name? That's right. Forgive me, but I don't seem to recall having heard of you before. Oh, that's okay. We never met. I'm an insurance investigator. Oh, really? Really? Am I being investigated or something? No, no, nothing
3: like that. It's just that I might have a lead on that jewelry that was taken from your home a few years ago. Well, that's wonderful. You must tell me about it.
15: Can I make you a drink? No, thanks. You're from the insurance company. Allied casualty? No,
3: no, I'm not. I'm an independent investigator.
15: Well, why should anyone feel it necessary to call in a... Oh, oh, I see. There's a reward, of course. That's right. Yes, of course. But now, tell me,
3: how can I help you? Well, I'm just checking a few things, Mr. McCormick. I haven't even gone over it with the man who handled the case for Allied. Possibly I have run into something that'll help, I don't
15: know. I'd like you to tell me what happened. My safe was opened and my jewelry taken. I mean how it happened. Well, it was right in this very room. That's the wall safe there. Uh Uh-huh. Mrs. McCormick and I had just returned from our honeymoon. Five years ago, it was. Yeah? All I know is that when I stepped into the library here that morning, the safe was open and everything was gone. Whoever did it was extremely clever and quiet, I must say. Was the safe cracked? No, no, no. It was just opened. Someone figured the combination or something like that. Well, who knew the combination at the time? Only myself, Mr. Dullin. You're sure of that? Why, of course. I see. I reported it to the police right away here on Long Island, and some men from New York City were here, too. And your insurance company? I reported it to my insurance company immediately. They had a man on the scene as soon as the police, a uh, Mr. Porter. Frank Porter? Yes. Do you know him? I've talked to him on the phone. I haven't met him. A Very nice chap. He worked very hard trying to recover it. I'm sure he did. Did they have an adjuster? Yes. Uh, how much did you collect, if you don't mind? Not much. What do you mean? Well, it was unfortunate. By keeping that much jewelry in a small house safe, it seems I violated the clause in the contract. It should have been kept in a safety deposit box or some such. Consequently, the matter went into litigation. I'm afraid the court found me at fault. I collected only a part of the insured value, $20,000. So, you can see, I'd certainly welcome a recovery. Sure. The jewelry was in the family a good many years. I had given it to my wife, and... I, well, a man hates to lose things he loves. Yes, I understand. Was Mrs.
3: McCormick here
15: the morning it happened? Oh, yeah? I'd like to talk to her. She's terribly busy, but if you think it's sufficiently important, I'll call her. No, never mind. I'm curious, Mr. Dollar. This case has been closed a long time. At least, no one's contacted me or asked me for any information about it for at least four years. What opened it? A man named Mike Cairn.
3: Uh-huh. Who's he? An old convict up at Ossining who shared a cell for a while with a man named Joe Panny. Uh-huh. Cairn died yesterday, but before he died, he told me he thought Panny had something to do with it. He'd heard him mention your name.
15: Well, it seems to me you should talk with this Joe Panny. I did, and I will some more as mm-hmm. soon as I locate him again. Right now, he's missing. Oh. I'm sorry. Well, thanks for the time, Mr. McCormick. You let me know if you learn anything? Sure. Do you honestly think you can recover that jewelry?
3: With any luck at all.
15: That would be wonderful, wonderful. You think
3: so? Why,
15: yes, of course.
3: Mrs. McCormick might be glad to know about it, too. Huh? You said it was her jewelry. I don't know why I said that to him. Just a sudden impulse. But he wasn't smiling when he walked me to the door, shook my hand, and patted me on the shoulder. I had a funny feeling that Mr. Julian McCormick was scared like a rabbit of me. I drove back to the city, had lunch at Walgreens, and dropped into Allied Casualties, New York office, to pick up the folder on reward information. I met Frank Porter and liked him right away, a big red-headed man in a tweed suit. Gee whiz, Johnny, it makes me feel older than ever doing this. How come? Well, I weighed 15 pounds less when this case started. June, 1951. Ah, here we are. Uh, these are pictures of the stuff.
17: Uh-huh.
3: Now, that one they call Tierra del Fuego. Huh? Some necklace, hmm? I can see why. Yeah, and uh, this one was called Imperial. In the royal family of Russia at one time. And uh, this is the other one. Placid. And beautiful stuff. Oh, you can say that again. That all of it? Well, that's about the size of it, Johnny. $100,000 gone... Yeah. Help any? Sure. It's nice to know what I'm trying to find. Well, I hope you have better luck than I did. Yeah. Say, uh, who was the police officer on the case? Uh, Martin. Dool's Martin. Out of Central? Yeah. We ran down every lead we could find, big and small. The file said you made 12 arrests. Yeah, something like that, but not one of them panned out. Had to let them all go. Martin requested pickups on every big-time jewelry man in the country. Now, I don't think one of them was overlooked. Well... No,
12: Johnny, somebody just simply walked in
3: that house, opened the safe as neat as you please, and walked right out with all of this. Very slick job. Had to be an experienced man. Well, might have been a first job for someone just starting in. He got lucky. Yeah, we thought of that, and we didn't think much of it after a while. Frank, you... Gee whiz, Johnny, you know, nobody could be that lucky. Chase the house, know exactly where the safe was, know what was in it, get in, open it up and get out without anybody, servants, the McCormicks, or any of their friends even seeing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that wasn't even the hardest part, you see. Not one scrap of this stuff has ever turned up anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere. Now, what did did whoever took it do with it? Did he break it down, sell it overseas? What? Not a trace of it. Imagine that. Imagine. You know what I think? I think the guy who swiped all this stuff still has it. I think he's sitting around waiting for it to cool off. Could be, yeah. But it's never going to cool off, Johnny. There isn't a city in this country or across the ocean that isn't on the lookout for these pieces. I suppose. Now, sooner or later, hot boy or lucky boy, well, whoever he is, will make a move. <laughs> Meantime, we just wait. Unless, of course, you've got something for us to look into. Ah, uh, not yet, Frank. Yeah. Well, when you have, we'll be right with you all the way. Good. Good. How about a drink? Uh, take a rain check. Okay. But remember, we got a whole floor full of lawyers upstairs. They can get up warrants, writs, seizure orders, anything you might want. Yeah. You just let me know when you get somewhere, and we'll go to work. I'll do that, Frank. <laughs> I left Frank Porter and went back over to the parole office to see what had developed with Joe Panny. After all, if he didn't report in, he'd be in violation of his parole, be in real trouble. But nothing had developed. He hadn't put in a change of address, nothing. So I went back to my hotel and had some dinner. Then I shaved, changed my clothes. Expense account, item five, dollar and a half, cab fare. I garaged my rented car, went back to Central Police Station, and pulled out the mug on Joe Panny once more hoping to get a line on some friends or relatives of his where he might be staying. Up till then, things had been going pretty routine. Then a clerk from the parole offices stepped across the hall. Hi, Mr. Dollar. Hi. Thought it was you I saw in here. I wasn't sure. How's it going? Fine, fine. Talk to your friend Jojo Penny yet? Not today. Why? He seemed awful anxious to talk to him, is all. I am. Why don't you go see him? You're playing games. I've been trying to find out where he is all day. And I already told you. You watch her. Sure, I gave it to you half an hour ago when you phoned. When who phoned? Sure, about half an hour ago. Look, Joe Penny called in and told me his address. Yeah. I no sooner set down the phone and you called in and said, "This is Johnny Dollar. Have you heard from Joe Penny?" Why? I said, "Yeah," and I told you his address. That's all. What address did you say? The Allen Hotel on 115th Street. Same place he was before.
2: What's the matter? You forget?
3: took me ten minutes to get from the police station over to the Allen Hotel. Ten minutes of wondering who'd put in that call and used my name. I went up the stairs, two at a time, up to the second floor. And right at the top of the landing, I bumped into a dark haired woman wearing a silver fur coat.
23: Oh. oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't see you. It's all right, you heard? No, not at all. Please let me go past. I'm in a hurry. Yeah,
3: I'd be in a hurry, too. What do you mean? The gun. What? You should carry it on the inside of your purse.
23: Oh, I didn't... Suppose I take Let it. Let go! Let go of me!
3: Fingernails, sir. Huh? Give it to me.
23: All right, take it!
3: She'd given it to me, all right, right on the side of the head. It didn't knock me out, but it did knock me off balance, so I tangled up with a hall table. And that gave her plenty of time to scurry down the stairs while I got out of the furniture and back on my feet. By the time I got down the stairs and out on the street, she was nowhere in sight. Hmm... No one yelled, I'm shot. No one did anything but what they were already doing. Hi. Where were you just now? You weren't here at the front desk.
22: I was out back, eating my dinner Why?
3: Oh, nothing. You happen to see that woman who just ran through here? No. Tall, dark-haired woman, about 30, wore a mixed stole. Me? Yeah. Oh, you're kidding, and this joint. Oh, brother. You still
2: looking for Joe Panny?
3: He lives here again, doesn't he? Yeah. Have you seen him? Where is he? Out. I sat down with myself and waited. A half an hour later, when the clerk went back to finish his dinner, I stepped over to the desk and borrowed his passkey and went back up the stairs to room 210. need the passkey and I didn't need to doubt the clerk. Joe Penny wasn't there. But all of his things were. The curtains were drawn and the windows closed. Every drawer had been pulled out of every dresser. The mattress on the bed was slipped from top to bottom and the rug had been ripped and turned over. Expense account, item six, one dollar, one drink from me. I left Jojo's room, went to the nearest bar, sat down, and had a drink. A scared victim, a missing con, a dark-haired woman wearing a mink and a gun, and other things. Right then and there, I decided that Mike Cann's tip had been pretty good at that.
10: Now, here's our star, Bob Bailey, to tell you about tomorrow's episode. Thanks. Tomorrow, a slight case of mayhem.
3: When the right guy turns up in the wrong place. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
10: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson, the entire production is under the direction of Jack Johnstone.
0: That's Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, Part 2 of The McCormick Matter from October 4th, 1955, starring Bob Bailey. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more here on the WGN Radio Theater. All right. In our next hour, we're going to have three episodes of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. We'll have Parts 3, 4, and 5. That's in our next hour, so stick around. Welcome back to the WGN Radio Theater. We are here every Saturday night. We start at 10 p.m., go until 3 o'clock in the morning, five straight hours here on Saturday nights into Sunday morning. In this hour, we're going to tune into parts 3, 4, and 5 of the McCormick Matter on yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and it all comes your way after this quick break. All right. Are you ready, Lisa, for Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar? Yes, we need the
9: conclusions.
0: We have parts three and four and five. All three of these will be in this hour. They're 15 minutes each, and it's time now for uh, part three from October 4th, 1955. Here's the McCormick matter on Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. From Hollywood, it's time now for Bob Bailey as... Johnny Dollar. This is Dules Martin. Lieutenant
3: Martin? Yeah, that's right. I got a message you called while I was out and left this number. Yeah, I want to talk to you about the McCormick case, Lieutenant. McCormick? $100,000 burglary out on Long Island back in 1951. Uh, I was the officer in charge. Who are you? Insurance investigator. I got a tip that an ex-convict named Joe Panny might have pulled it. I'm at Panny's hotel.
10: Well, let me know how you make out.
3: Say, listen, his room's been torn apart. Every inch of it's been searched. And when I came here tonight, I got socked by a woman with a gun. Give me that address.
10: Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
3: Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To the Allied Casualty and Insurance Company Limited, Markham Building, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the McCormick matter. Expense account, item seven, two dollars, two drinks. For myself and Lieutenant Dules Martin, NYPD. A big swarthy man who seemed to know what he was about. Martin looked over the damage done by the unknown ransacker of Joe Panny's room... Questioned the clerk, who was unable to furnish any helpful information. Then, because Joe Panny was officially a parole violator, ordered the General pickup.
10: We should be able to get our hands on him pretty soon,
3: Dollar. I hope it's that easy, Lieutenant. Any reason why it shouldn't be fairly routine? No, just a feeling, I guess. I don't know. This whole matter's been flimsy. The tip was weak, but it seems to be paying off. Nothing fits, though. I don't quite get all this, Dollar. How'd you come in on this? Old Mike Cairn died up at Sing Sing two days ago. Before he went, he told me he believed Joe Panny might have pulled a McCormick burglary. It didn't seem likely then, Panny being a small-time auto thief and whatnot. But now it does, in view of what's been happening lately. Somebody sure wants something Panny might have, judging from that room. I never saw one taken apart better, an expert search job. Yeah. Hey, Lieutenant, when you picked Joe Panny up, I'd like to be in on it. He's my only lead in this case, and I want to talk to him again. That's not asking too much. Now, Dollar... About this woman you saw. Pretty, about 30, dark hair, good dresser, wore a silver mink stole. The gun she socked me with was a little one, a twenty-five or maybe thirty-two automatic. Mm-hmm. You think she might have done the searching in Joe's room? What do you think? She was flustered and upset when I bumped into her, anxious to get away from the place. And, of course, a gun in her hand. Yeah. She sound familiar to you in this neighborhood? No, no. Could be anybody. Yeah. Well, that's about it, Lieutenant. Yeah? No, I got it. Oh, thanks. I suppose you talked to McCormick, got the full story of the burglary from him. Almost first thing, yeah. I remember him when it first happened. Nice enough, but strange, I thought. This business about somebody phoning the parole office ahead of you to get Joe Panny's address, that stops me, though. That's hard to figure. You sure you're telling me everything? Sure, I'm sure. That part sounds crazy. Not if somebody knew I was looking for him, wanted to get him first. But who? How should I know? Well, we'll see what we will see. Uh, Can I drop you anywhere? No, thanks. I'll walk. You let me know when you pick him up. Sure. Two days passed, and I didn't hear from Lieutenant Martin. I finally phoned in, and a supplementary had turned up, no leads. Martin had men watching Joe's hotel. His former friends and acquaintances were being checked. Meanwhile, I decided to try and find out who the dark woman in the first stole had been. It seemed pretty obvious that she had just come from Joe's room, that she knew him or was connected with him in some way. So once more I combed over Joe Panny's file at headquarters This time looking for a woman's name The only one mentioned was an ex-wife who had divorced him six years before Her name was Iris Carter At the Bureau of Vital Statistics, the marriage certificate and record of divorce proceedings Gave me a composite picture of an unhappy and turbulent three-year marriage It also gave me a general description of Iris Carter That could very well fit the woman I'd seen briefly in the hallway outside Joe Panny's hotel room There was a six-year-old address to start on.
26: Eunice? Is that you, Eunice? I said, is
3: that you, Eunice? No, ma'am, I'm not Eunice. Oh,
26: no, you sure ain't. You seen her?
3: I don't know. I really don't know her.
26: Oh. Well, what do you want?
3: I'd like to talk to the manager. I want some information.
26: What's your name? Johnny Dollar. What kind of information are you looking for?
3: Are you the manager?
26: Yes, sir, I am.
3: Well, I'm trying to locate a woman named Iris Carter. She might have used the name Iris Penny. She was married once to a man named Joe Penny.
26: Lived here about 6 years ago. Were you here then? That was.
3: Did you know her? I did. Did you know him?
26: Yeah. He went to jail.
3: Does she live here now? She don't. Do you have any idea where I can find her?
26: I don't. Well, uh, do you happen to know if she ever Why worked
3: here? Just to talk to her. When did she move out?
26: Oh, long time ago. Five years, maybe. Uh-huh. What's your business? Insurance. Oh. <laughs> well, what's up? Oh, nobody around here buys insurance.
3: Oh, <laughs> well, we don't have to go into that. If you can think of any place I might get a line on her, I'd appreciate it.
26: It seems to me she worked at a bookstore down the street.
3: Down what street?
26: Out there. Block or two down that way. I think she worked there. I don't know. You can try
3: Thank you, I will.
26: Why, you're polite. You tip your hat.
3: So tell me, do you remember what she looked like?
26: Sort of, yeah. Well? Oh, about as tall as I am. Nice. Pretty girl.
3: Blonde or brunette?
26: Dark hair. Almost black.
3: Know any of her friends when she lived here?
26: Mm, no. No, I couldn't tell you that. Why?
3: Oh, I might look up one of them and ask her about her, that's all.
26: Yeah, you ask at
3: that bookstore. I think she worked there. The bookstore Iris Carter Panney had worked in was as dismal as the neighborhood. The proprietor, Mrs. Olds, yielded a little more helpful information than Iris Carter's former landlady. Yes, Iris had worked there for about six months. She'd quit almost five years before. No, she didn't know where to find her. Expense account, item eight, one dollar and two cents, lunch. I had it in a neighborhood diner called The Showboat, a place where Mrs. Old said Iris Carter had frequently eaten. The restaurant manager remembered Iris vaguely. She also remembered Iris' boyfriend. I asked for a description. She did better than that. She gave me his name, occupation, and address. An old rehearsal hall two blocks away. five-man combo working there was really putting it up. Yeah. And the minute I saw him, I knew the boy wearing the trumpet was the one I was looking for. Just good looking and smooth enough to go with a girl Iris Carter sounded like. Smooth trumpet, too.
15: Okay, guys. Take five.
3: I'm looking for Jack Lang. You found him, I'm Johnny Dollar. Can we talk a minute? That's about all I got, Mr. Dollar.
17: Want smoke? No, thanks. <sighs> oh, man. Gets real tired out about this time of day. Yeah, imagine it does. The way you put it on. Well, everybody to his own racket. <laughs> What's yours? Insurance investigating. Okay.
3: Now what? Well, I've been asking around the neighborhood, and they tell me you once knew a girl named Iris Carter or Iris Panny. Iris Carter. Go on. I'd like to find her and talk to her, and I thought you might be able to help me. Go on. I want to talk to her ex-husband, most of all. I thought somehow she might know where to find him these days. He's in the can. He was released three
17: weeks ago. No. Any ideas? No. I thought finding her might be a shortcut to him. I wouldn't think so. They were all washed up when I knew her. When was that? Five years ago. She hadn't seen him for over a year then. Uh-huh. She didn't have much use for him. I don't blame her. How long did you know her? No. We went together for a while while she worked at some crummy bookstore. Then she moved away, and I didn't see her after that. I think she said something about going back to Ohio. You think? I don't remember offhand. <laughs>
3: well, let me put it this way. As far as I know, she's in no trouble. The one we want is her ex husband. You'd be helping a lot if you could tell me where to find her.
17: I don't know. I honestly don't know, and... I sure wish I did. I'd like to find it myself. Why? Well, when she went with me, I... Well, wasn't any good. I think she just walked out because she was tired of losers. Sick up the here, you know what I mean? Can't blame her. He gave her a pretty bad time. I didn't do much better. But now I got something. It's just a little five-piece outfit. Not much, but something. I'd like to show it to her and say... Iris, this is mine. You kind of had it bad, huh? Bad as a guy like me can get it. (laughs) I know I'll probably never see her again as long as I live, but... Boy, if another one like her ever shows up, (laughs) I'm going to be ready, Dad. Ever see her? No, she must have been something. Yeah. (laughs) Take a look. Nice, huh? Yeah. I take it back. What back? About seeing her. I've seen her.
3: When? Where? Two nights ago in the hallway outside Joe Panny's room. You sure? I'm sure. She hit me with a gun before she left. The picture he had flipped out of his wallet was old and well-thumbed. It showed a sultry kind of face that could have been 20 or 30 or 40. A wide, frank, smiling happy mouth. Not the kind of girl I would imagine could ever be married to a Joe Penny, But there was no doubt about it. She had been married to him, and I had seen her. On my way back to the hotel, I dropped in to check with Lieutenant Martin. Hi. Hi. Doing any good? Any lead on Joe Penny? Nothing so far. This may take longer than I thought at first. Well, I've been out looking for his ex-wife. I didn't find her, but I found a few people who knew her. She was the one at his hotel the other night. Name's Iris Carter. You sure? Positive. I saw her picture. We better try to pick her up, too. I'll put it out right away. Fine. Well, I'll keep in touch. Uh, wait a minute. Don't go. Huh? We had some action here today. Sit down. Thanks. Julian McCormick called up, reported you. He said you came out there bothering him a couple days ago. He said he doesn't want to be bothered. Well, I only talked to him to get his story on the burglary.
10: And I told him as long as you didn't break the law, there was nothing we could do to stop you from investigating. But he didn't like it.
3: He seemed perfectly willing to cooperate with me when I talked to him before.
10: Yeah, well, sometime these... Rich...
3: Excuse me. Martin here. That's right. Well, how long ago? Okay. Well, they found your boy, Joe Panny. What? Yeah. He's on his way to the morgue. Harbor Patrol picked up his body a couple of hours ago. Loaded down with slugs. Some case. And that ain't all, Johnny. Huh? His feet were burnt.
10: Now, here's our star, Bob Bailey, to tell you about tomorrow's episode. Thanks. Tomorrow, a phase of this
3: case that ought to be called the Talking Corpse. For believe me, this one said plenty. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
10: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson, the entire production is under the direction of Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking.
0: That's part three of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. It's time now for part four from October 6th, 1955. Here's Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar.
10: From Hollywood, it's time now for Bob Bailey as... Johnny Dollar. Frank Porter at
3: Allied Casualty. How's it going, kid? I don't know. You ever find Joe Penny? The Harbor Patrol found him floating around the harbor. He'd been shot and his feet were burnt. Gee whiz, torture. Well, what can I do to help? Find a girl who was once married to him? Joe Panny had a wife? Yeah, she wears a mink stole these days and carries a gun. She's tied up with it somewhere. Her name's Iris Carter. Iris Carter? You've met her? Just long enough to get slugged with her gun. Well, wait a minute. I'd like to get it all straight. Can I come over? I'll
10: be here. <laughs> Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of a man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
3: (laughs) Expense account submitted by special investigator Johnny Dollar. To the Allied Casualty and Insurance Company Limited, Markham Building, Hartford, Connecticut... The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the McCormick matter. Expense account, item 9, $14 even, Secretarial Services. I dictated a detailed report of the $100,000 McCormick case. I did it for two reasons. One, to make certain that Allied and the New York police were thoroughly informed of my part of the matter. And two, to review the case for my own benefit. One of the key figures, Joe Panny, was a murder victim. Attached is a copy of that report. I tried to cover as closely as possible my conversation with Mike Cairn at Sing Sing when he tipped me off that Joe Panny had something to do with the McCormick burglary of five years ago. Also, one conversation with Joe Panny, his subsequent disappearance and murder. I had a copy for Frank Porter when he showed up at my room. He read it from top to bottom. Gee whiz, Johnny, if this isn't something. You come here for Joe Panny. looks like he did the McCormick job, now he's dead. You're stopped. What can you do? Find his wife, maybe? You're doing this at your own expense, aren't you? Oh, I think your company will pay for it in time. You have to recover the stuff. I know. You think you will? I think so, yeah. Well, your key man's dead. You'll have to start all over again. Maybe not. I don't really know whether Joe Panning was my key man or not. I still can't see a small-time auto thief working a big, slick safe burglary. Every indication is that he was the one. I know. I'd like to find that girl Iris Carter and talk to her about it. She's connected with it. Now From what you say on the paper, yeah, very much. Oh, gee whiz, I feel like a fifth wheel. I'm not helping you a bit. You know, I handled this case for the company when it first broke. I worked with Lieutenant Martin for six months on it, and we didn't turn up a thing. You're on it three or four days, and you have all kinds of action. Well, I must have stepped in at the right time. Yeah. Johnny, mm-hmm. somebody gunned Joe panty down. Now, I know you like to work alone and do things your own way, but... Be careful if you stay on this. I get worried when somebody starts shooting.
17: Oh, sure. I didn't get that, though.
3: Why? If I keep on this, I wouldn't let it go now if my life depended on it. I'm going to find that woman, and I'm going to find the stuff. Sure. Well, gee whiz, don't let anything happen to you. I won't. I talked some more with Frank Porter about the case. He repeated his offer in the name of Allied Casually to help if he could. I told him I'd take it up on it if anything came up at all. He left. I was at Central Police Station ten minutes later. And five minutes after that, Lieutenant Dules Martin was calling for the medical examiner's report on Joe Panny's death. A uniformed man brought it in. Martin shot it across the desk at me. The ME says Joe Panny's been dead about 48 hours or longer. 225 slugs right through the chest, penetrated both lungs, one through the neck. It's a very neat shooting at that range. What range? Oh, at least 20 feet, maybe longer. Not many people shoot 25s that well. It's a little gun. A woman's gun? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Now, let's talk about that woman you saw around there that night. Now, you say it was Panny's ex. Yeah, Iris Carter. I don't know whether her gun was a 25 or 32. Well, think about I it. I have. Now, look, don't get sore with me. It's just that she looks like better than ever for opening this case up. I put her on in all points. <sighs> Sorry I got around. That's all right. Now, the M.E. thinks that Penny was killed before he was dumped in the water, possibly ambushed by someone he didn't know or didn't trust. If he's right about the range, that'd fit in. Someone who knew him would do it close up. Yeah. Hey, wait. You said his feet were burnt. Yeah, I got the pictures here to prove it. Yeah, take a look. And these are the glasses. Uh-huh. Now, these are the burns here, Miller. Right here. Here. And here. Yeah. Then he wasn't ambushed, exactly. Look, I don't know what he was, but this is the crazy part. He was already dead when this happened. No rope marks on his legs or wrists. You don't sit still for burning, no matter how tough you are. It's fascinating, huh? Someone shot him down, then tried to make it look like he was tortured for information first. Cover up. He's supposed to look like he knew something, or had something. And maybe he didn't know or have anything at all. Oh, how do you feel? Lousy. If the burning was cover-up, then maybe the big search of his room was cover-up, too, to throw us off. Uh, uh, To throw you off. Not me. I wasn't in on it then. Yeah. Well, one thing that's genuine. What's that? The corpse. An hour and a half later, a witness was delivered to the office of Lieutenant Martin. His name was Edmund Thompson. He sold papers in the dock area. Both Martin and I looked at him twice, and I could tell both of us were doubting the credulity of anything he might have to say. Hi. Hi. My name's Martin. This is Mr. Dollar. Yes, sir. Glad to know you both. Uh, Would you mind telling us everything you saw the other night?
17: Tuesday night. Yeah, it was Tuesday. Sure, why not? I saw this guy dumped in the water. We understand that. Can you tell us the circumstances? It's against the will of God. Yes, it certainly is. Against the laws of nature, too. What did you see, Mr. Thompson? I prayed for them both. You tried, Dollar? <sighs> when did you pray? Right after I saw him. Yes,
3: sir. On the street, huh? Nope. I was on the vacant lot.
17: I was cutting across towards the dock. Oh. Then I see this car pull up. Long black car, a lot of chrome on it. This fella jumps out and goes around at the back. He opens the trunk and he pulls this other fella out, hoists him up, and he carries him over the dock. Then he just lets him go. Then you prayed. Then I prayed. I was a little too scared to do anything else.
3: Uh, this car the man had? Long, black one, a lot of chrome. Sedan or coupe? What's the difference? Two seats or one seat? One seat. Happened to get the license number? Uh. All right, all right, let that go. How about the man? Can you describe him? He stood there and looked down at the water and
18: started
10: himself a cigarette. Well, What kind of a face did he have? Dark, light, a mustache, what?
17: A devil's face. Oh,
3: huh? swell. Now, what does that mean? The devil. Mr. Thompson, do you understand that we want to apprehend this man, that he's responsible for one man's death, and that he might harm someone else?
17: I'll pray for him. Pray
3: for him (sighs) all. Well, how was he dressed? Didn't notice. Hat? Don't know. Coat? Don't know. But he had a long, black coupe. Do you know the make? Nope. Would you know him if you saw him again? Nope. Look, when you saw him dump a body into the water, why didn't you notify the police? Why should I? It's police business. Let them take care of their
17: business, I'll take care of mine. Any of you fellas got a cigarette on you?
3: I left Lieutenant Martin brooding over his witness and went out for a bite of dinner. When I called him later, he hadn't learned anything more, so I decided to call it a night and went back to my hotel. I found a note waiting for me from Jack Lang, the band leader friend of Iris Carter. Said he'd got a tip. She'd worked at one time at the Elmar Theater in the Bronx. If I learned anything, please let him know. He was still in love with her. Elmar Theater? I decided my night was far from over. A ticket out front if you want to look at the girl. I only want to see one. Her name's Iris Carter. Does she work here? I just told you, go buy a ticket out front. Just tell me this. Does Iris Carter work here? Is the name familiar to you? Have you ever seen her or heard of her? You give me any more trouble or Clark. I told you, go out front. Can't you answer a simple question? I'm looking for Iris Carter. Iris Carter. You don't have to yell at mister. He never
27: heard of it.
2: What? Call me a cop, Gloria. You this
27: mind, guy's giving me... Never mind, I'll take care of him. Come on, you. Iris Carter, is that what you said? Yeah. I got to change. I got to get back on in five minutes.
3: Then I'll talk to you later.
27: You haven't got much to say? Stick around. I'll change back to the screen. Okay. I'm Gloria Ward. Who are you?
3: Johnny Dollar.
27: What do you want with Iris Carter?
3: I want to see her and tell her something. Tell me. Well, for one thing, her ex-husband's dead. What? Oh, better watch that screen.
27: Oh, Oh. Say that again.
3: Joe Panny, her ex husbands dead.
27: No kidding. That no good bum is really dead.
3: Yeah. Where can I find
11: her?
27: She don't work here no more. Hasn't worked here in four or five years. She quit.
3: Well, where is she? You took over from the old man out there when you heard me mention her name. You've satisfied yourself that I'm really looking for her, so don't suppose you... Don't
27: you... slip with me, mister. I'm not satisfied about anything.
3: <clears throat> where is she?
27: She got herself married to a nice guy.
3: Good for her. Is she in town?
27: Sure you just want to see her and tell her Joe's dead?
3: That's about it. I thought maybe she might be able to help me and the police find out who killed him.
27: He was killed?
3: Two days ago. They found his body today. How do you
27: know about that? Are you a cop?
3: I'm an insurance investigator.
27: And you have to see her?
3: You want it put in writing?
27: Don't get no half. What I'm getting at is this. Quick change, huh? Now listen. Iris is good. You know what I mean? And she's married to a nice guy now. Will any of this make her trouble?
3: Not if she hasn't done anything wrong.
27: Well, I can tell you she hasn't. If it does make trouble, it'd be a shame. She's set up nice, and I like to see a girl set well, don't you? Certainly. I haven't seen her almost since she left here, but... oh, you look like a right kind of guy, I believe you.
3: Thanks, Gloria.
27: She lives out in Long Island now. Her name's McCormick. Iris McCormick. (laughs)
3: By the time I said goodbye to Gloria and walked out the stage door and got out into the alley, I thought I had most of it again. The ex-wife of an ex-con married a wealthy Long Islander named McCormick. When the honeymoon was over, the safe was robbed. Walking out that alley, I was wondering whether to phone the police or Allied Casually first. <laughs>
11: Oh, shooting!
2: You've been hit. Oh, it isn't bad. Did you see him? I didn't see nobody. The car.
3: See the car, the one that just gunned out. Oh, the
2: car. We had a long black coupe, a lot of chrome. A fellow didn't
7: have his lights on. Hey, that's against the law.
3: Hey, you need help, Mister? No, no, I'm all right.
10: Now, here's our star, Bob Bailey, to tell you about tomorrow's episode.
3: Thanks. Tomorrow, the end of the trail of a thirty-eight caliber slug. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
10: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson, the entire production is under the direction of Jack Johnstone.
0: That's part four of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. It's time now for part five. Let's go back to October 7th, 1955 for the conclusion to the McCormick matter on Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. From Hollywood, it's time now for Bob Bailey as... Johnny Dollar.
20: Ready with your party in Hartford, Connecticut, Mr. Dollar. Go ahead, please.
3: Hello, Mr. Barth. Yes? This is Johnny Dollar. Johnny, what's up? Now listen carefully, Ed. I've just been shot. What? Oh, it's nothing serious. I'm backstage at the Elmar Theater in the Bronx. Johnny... I'm all right. Now listen to me. I got a tip from old Mike Cairn, a convict, that a man named Joe Panny might have had something to do with the McCormick case a few years ago. Yes, a jewelry case. $100,000. Well, panny has been murdered. I didn't get a chance to learn anything from him, but I have learned that Panny's ex-wife is married to Julian McCormick. You've uh, contacted our New York office? I've been trying to get your man Frank Porter at his home, but no one answers. It's going to be pretty nasty for Allied Casualty if she plotted with this Joe Penny to rob McCormick. Yeah. Do you want me to wait and let Frank Porter handle it? No, no, no. You go ahead. If somebody's throwing bullets around, they'd better be stopped before... Oh, well... By me rather than Frank Porter, huh?
10: Okay. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account... America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Allied Casualty and Insurance Company Limited, Markham Building, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures incurred during my investigation of the McCormick matter. Item 11, seven dollars and a half, one bottle of scotch, which I sent the stage doorman out to get while I was calling Ed Barth at Allied Insurance. Apparently everybody in the neighborhood thought the exchange of shots between me and somebody in a long black coupe were backfires. It was the doorman who dragged me back in the theater. Uh, you got yourself a boy now, mister? Ah, no, it's just a craze.
12: Well, I sure don't get you. Call an insurance people in police. Somebody fires a gun, don't you call the cops? Have another drink. That's the way it easy.
3: Hey, hey,
7: where you going? You should see a doctor. Later.
3: I went back outside in the alley where the shooting had taken place. Ten minutes of looking around, and I dug a pair of 38 slugs out of a telephone post. <laughs> Expense account, item 12, $4.35, cab fare, Elmar Theater to Long Island. It was 12 o'clock straight up when I got to the McCormick home. There were no lights burning, and apparently everyone had retired for the night. I checked the garage first. A 55 Cadillac convertible and a four-year-old Jag. No warm motors, no black coupes. I went to the house.
23: Oh, it's you.
3: Hello, Mrs. McCormick. No,
23: no, please. Please don't come in here. My husband... Oh, please. I don't know who you are, but I remember meeting you at the hotel the other I'm day. I'm Johnny
3: Dollar, an insurance investigator. Insurance? Oh,
23: well, there must be some way we can fix this up. Talk to me tomorrow. I'll meet you somewhere.
3: How can you fix up murder?
23: Murder? What are you talking about?
3: Joe Penny's dead. Your ex-husband. He was shot with a twenty-five, Just like the one you swung at me at the hotel.
15: Oh, no. Oh. <laughs>
3: You want to tell me about that? All right, I'll tell you. Joe was your husband once. You helped him rob this house five years ago. He couldn't have done it alone. He wasn't that slick. He wasn't that good. He could steal a car, but a safe lock's different from ignition. Well?
23: Yes. Yes, I helped him do it. He made me. He promised me if I helped him, I'd never hear from him again. I opened the safe for him.
3: But you were down to see him at his hotel the other night. You searched his room.
23: Searched his room? Yeah. Well, I don't know anything about that. He called me, said he wanted money. I didn't know where he'd been for these last few years. Up the river. Oh, well, he wanted money. Only he wasn't there when I went there. And I
3: was. Yes. And the gun?
23: I went down there to kill him. But I didn't see him.
3: Not then. Later somewhere.
23: I haven't seen him at all, I tell you. just talked to him on the phone. I I don't suppose it'd make any difference if I told you I had a good reason. If I told you I loved my husband very much.
3: Not likely, in view of the fact you helped your ex-husband rob him of $100,000 worth of jewelry five years ago.
23: Oh, I can explain that. Joe came around when we got back from our honeymoon. It's an old story. My past isn't all it... Well, anyhow. Joe threatened to tell my husband about it, unless I gave him money. I didn't have any, so I opened the safe for him that night. It was all I could think to do.
3: Yeah. Then you split with him later on.
23: I told you, I haven't seen him. Why would I want to do that? I have everything I want in life right here. Mostly my husband.
3: Well, it's still a police matter, Mrs. McCormick. I spent a long time looking for you. Maybe you'd better get
15: your coat. Iris. Oh. You'll remain exactly where you are. Julian. And so will you, Mr. Dollar.
23: Julian, you heard what I said.
15: Don't worry about it, my dear. Mr. Dollar, I'm a
3: gentleman, but this is a gun. I noticed a 38. I got a couple of slugs in my pocket that came from it. Stand over there. Now, this is pretty silly. You can put that thing away and we can settle this my the only way it can My wife has settled.
15: told you the absolute truth, Mr. Dollar. She's innocent of any wrongdoing so far as I'm concerned. Is that clear? It's pretty glib, McCormick. She's accessory to a $100,000 heist and she hasn't done anything wrong. If she wanted to give them away... To an ex-husband. To anybody. That was her affair. I would not press charges.
3: Well, that takes care of you. How are you going to square it with allied casualty in the state of New York? And you also forget a little matter of a dead man.
15: But I haven't forgotten you, Mr. Dollar.
23: Julian, please don't. I've caused enough trouble, please.
15: Calm yourself, my dear. This is the least I can do for you after what you've done for me. Just being my wife. Mr. Dollar, will you accept money? Not enough for murder. Fifty uh hundred thousand. I'd hate to kill you, Mr. Dollar. You
3: tried once tonight. You've referred to that before. But you weren't very good, and now you're even worse. You forgot to take the safety off that the, gun. The Give
11: safety it. Oh, no. oh you've killed him. You've killed him.
3: Ah, he's all right. Get out of the way <laughs> and let me see that gun. <laughs> I wasn't interested in either one of them for the moment. I was looking at the 38 i I'd taken from Julian McCormick. There was a smear of cosmoline still inside the barrel. I sniffed it, checked it, found all chambers loaded. It was a brand new weapon, and it had never been fired. Expense account item 13, 5 dollars half cab fare again, this time from Long Island to an apartment in Queens. The man I wanted to see was Allied Casualties man, Frank Porter. He lived in a very polite neighborhood.
16: Uh, that's apartment 203. But Mr. Porter is not in, sir.
3: I'll wait for him.
16: Yes, sir. It's all
3: right if I sit in your lobby, isn't
16: it? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. But uh, I'd prefer that you waited somewhere else. You would. This is a rather exclusive apartment building, sir. And we don't like people uh, loitering in the lobby.
3: Well, I'm on a pretty exclusive mission. But uh, you don't like the mud on my clothes and the tear on my coat, huh?
16: Are you a friend of Mr. Porter's?
3: Yeah. Good friend? He wouldn't mind if I waited in his apartment, if that's what you mean. No, sir. Impossible. But a couple of bucks can do wonders sometimes. It was quite a layout. Books, pictures, furniture and whatnots that make living at home pretty agreeable. I propped myself up on a stool at Frank's little bar, poured myself a drink and sat there waiting for him. I was like that a half an hour later when he showed up. He looked a little unsteady on his feet. Well, gee whiz, Johnny Dollar. Hi. You're the last person in the world I expect to see. I'm glad to light and let you in. I didn't think you'd mind. No, no not at all. I tried to phone you earlier tonight. You were out. I'm sorry. Chief whiz, what's on your mind, Johnny? I wanted to tell you I was shot at tonight. Well, I wanted to tell you I found out who Mrs. McCormick is and was. Since you were on the case first for Allied, I thought I'd tell you first. Well, gee whiz. Say, this is a nice setup. Full of nice things. Yeah. I've been in places like this before, Frank. They usually start at 300 or better a month. With maid service, phone service. All those things cost money. A lot of money. Don't they, Frank? <laughs> gee whiz. When would you tumble to it, Johnny? A little while ago, when I was out on Long Island... Julian McCormick made me a proposition. He finally offered me $100,000. A lot of money. He sounded like he'd had experience making propositions. I should have tumbled to it a couple of days ago when you phoned the parole office after I left you. You used my name when you asked for Joe Panty's address. Yes. I wondered if your tip was on the right track. I didn't figure Joe Panty was eligible for parole so quick. I had to get to him before you did. He wasn't the kind to keep his mouth shut. You shut it for him, didn't you, Frank? Mind if I sit down, Johnny? Now, go ahead. They'll be strapping you down one of these days. <laughs> Gee with No hundred and a half a week investigating claims by nice places like this. It was one of those lucky things, Johnny. When I was called to Long Island to investigate that heist five years ago, I met McCormick's wife.
12: Happened to recognize her as Joe Penny's ex.
3: And you knew McCormick was in love with his wife enough to pay you to keep quiet? I gave him service for his money... The cops would have broken that case in 24 hours, but I covered up all the tracks I could find. And I made it real safe by seeing Joe sent up the river. How? <laughs> just tipped off the cops to some of his hot car deals, and they picked him up. He happened to be carrying a gun, so he got to works. Then you just sat around drawing blackmail from McCormick. Gee whiz, don't look at me like that, Johnny. Every guy has his price. How about you? <laughs> That's the second offer I've had tonight. It's a good one. Joe Panny was a dumb guy. He picked up that jewelry and went right downtown and plucked it in a safe deposit box. It's been sitting there all the time. He was up the river. Still worth. Collecting. Sorry, Frank. You sure? I'm sure. Chief. Chief Whites, Johnny, you are a good dick. You don't buy off. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to see, I guess. Sure, Frank. Well. Do we go in quietly? You'd be surprised, Johnny, how quiet. You'd better dial for an ambulance if you want me to go to the trial. What? You, you were good in that alley back of the theater tonight, Johnny, when I tried to knock you off. I followed you all night looking for my chance. You, you nicked me twice. Dial the doc. Quick, quick. Gee where's it hurts. <laughs> died right there, without saying another word. The disposition of the case and what to do about Frank Porter, an insurance adjuster who goes bad, is a matter I don't have to handle. And I'm glad. Expense account item 14, hotel and board in New York City, $79.30. Item 15, $84, legal fees and incidental expenses, involved in locating the widow of Mike Cairns, who it seems is still alive somewhere in Iowa and will accept half the reward as promised. Item 16, $14 even. Transportation back to Hartford. Expense account total, $265.91. Remarks, gee whiz. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
10: Now, here's our star, Bob Bailey, to tell you about next week's story. Thanks.
3: Next week, the story of a ship, the Molly Kay. Destination, Davy Jones' locker. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
10: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson, the entire production is under the direction of Jack Johnstone. Heard in this week's cast were Mary Jane Croft, Virginia Gregg, Marvin Miller, Forrest Lewis, Frank Gerstle, Herb Butterfield, Herb Ellis, Tony Barrett, Ken Christie, Jack Crucian, and Junius Matthews. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking.
0: That's yours truly, Johnny Dollar, from October 7, 1955, with the McCormick Matter, starring Bob Bailey. Let's take a quick break, then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater.
9: Welcome back to the WGN Radio Theater. I wanted to remind all of our listeners to check out Vistro. They have been my best friend for the last few months. What about me? And I was going to say Carl and Vistro, my best friend. Do you
0: like Vistro more than me?
9: It's a toss-up right now. I can understand that. Normally I'd say you, but in these uncertain times, Vistro's been really close with me. I I don't like going to the grocery store, especially now, because I'd really rather stay home. It's safer. And I would rather order from Vistro. Vistro is the best vegan meal delivery service out there. They are convenient. They are healthy. It is super delicious. It comes right to my door. They cook it. They deliver it. They're cooked fresh, organic ingredients by their chefs. It's delivered to me frozen. I heat it in the oven or the microwave. There's no chopping. There's no cooking. There's no cleanup. That's
0: it's, good that there's no chopping because you don't want a knife around Lisa. That's for sure. Oh, man. <laughs> danger, <laughs> danger. <laughs> danger, um, danger, 100% stranger.
9: plant-based, all- are organic. It's fully prepared. It's preservative free. I hope you'll check it out. It is super healthy and super delicious. You know what?
0: I would have never believed it in a million years that I would be eating plant-based chicken and meatloaf and all this kind of stuff. It's amazing. It tastes so good. Their chefs are amazing. And it comes right to my home. I have it all in my refrigerator, actually my freezer, and I put it in the microwave or the oven.
9: You know, I've been eating plant-based for years, but I have never had food that tastes like this. Really, it's the best vegan food I have ever tried. I hope you guys will try it too. Check it out. Go to the website. Go to Vistro.com, V-E-E-S-T-R-O. Dot com you will be glad that you did i
0: mean i love it so i'm sure our listeners will as well okay what's on next week lisa
9: next week we have a great lineup as always we have our miss brooks nightbeat casey crime photographer duffy's tavern whitehall 1212 and another five-part story of yours truly johnny dollar people
0: are loving johnny dollar thanks everyone for listening it's our five-year anniversary thanks for being out there and tuning us in we'll see you next week